everybody, and welcome back to Prequelizers, aka Season 6 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me is Matthew Stogden. I'm Johnny Depp, and I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, Matt. That, that's the entire performance. <laughs> so angry at the end of that <laughs> film. <laughs> Oh, we'll get back to that. And the the Colin Farrell to Matt's Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, fair because Tim is much better than me. Yeah, but, oh. yeah. he's the best. Oh, Tim made him. I have had it with these motherfucking beasts in this motherfucking suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you mean these monkey fighting beasts on this Monday to Friday suitcase? <laughs> Which is still my favourite like TV edit ever. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you hadn't already guessed. We're fixing some Harry Potter prequels, plural? I guess we'll, we'll get to this later on, but we're kind of fixing yeah. both of them. Um, it's it's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and The Crimes of Grindelwald. Slash. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we're fixing a lot of Harry Potter nonsense. And there's been a lot of Harry Potter nonsense in the news recently. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that too much, but... Yeah, this, this turns out this needs more fixing than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> In many ways. Hopefully not screenplay let's, written by J.K. Rowling. Like, nope. Let, Matthew Stolton. Yeah, let, let's start it nice and simple. Let's just talk about Harry Potter for a second. Just, I think that's the only way you can compartmentalise this. So, I was a bookseller working when Harry Potter 4 came out. Uh, Goblet of Fire. And I took a stance as a sort of edgelord, dickhead teenager, sort of like early 20s guy saying like, you know what? I'm not going to read these fucking kids books. I don't give a shit. And like Philip Pullman's um, uh, trilogy came out and it's like, oh, that's so much cool and edgy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch that instead. Read it instead, I should say. And I, my only real connection to them is the films. And this is kind of an important thing for later when it comes to the pitch stuff. I, to this day, haven't read any of the books and I don't care. If you enjoy them, that's fantastic. That's great. We we are a film podcast, not a book podcast. And then true, that's kind true. of what the the canon we're working with here for prequels and sequels and all this kind of bullshit is film canon. So yeah, yeah, you're working with the the eight Harry Potter films. If it's not on the screen and someone says ah, but in the books, it's like ah, but I don't give a shit. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, I never really got into it. But I did actually enjoy. I still enjoy the films. Um. And I've been to Universal Studios in Japan, to Harry Potter World. I really enjoyed that experience. It was quite cool. So I like the world building. I'm not like obsessed, obviously, like a lot of fans are really, really into it. Um, it it's just a cool thing to enjoy. And also my father went to boarding school, so I know boarding school is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, just kind of briefly returning to the, like, the, the books versus film stuff, it's also important to note that the fantastic beasts films were never books oh, yeah. they are not adaptations of books the clo- there is well, a there is a fantastic yeah. beast and where to find the book but it is and it is a encyclopedia of monsters it does not have a plot to it um written in canon by the main character of the films newt scamander exactly like yeah, yeah. In- encyclopedia yes. of the, the magical beasts yeah which is fine it's just more world building stuff like the beetle borg Beetle Bard, Blue Beetle, what the fuck is that thing called? Yeah, you uh, got it right. The Bard. Yeah. Beetle Ball, Beetle the, Blue, Beetle Blue. Beetle, that that yeah. one, yes. Thank, that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, so that had a more of a story as far as I understand it. Um, and there are a few bits that could be converted into things. 
So I, I, I enjoy the films. I grew up with them. When the first one came out, I was like 16 or 17 and then I was going to it. And it came out at the same time as Lord of the Rings. People forget this. The same year that Fellowship of the Rings came out, uh, the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone, if you're American, uh, came out at the same time. And it was always like, have all the fucking fantasy. And it was yeah. like, oh my God, this is insane. I, I would argue they're the two things that have defined fantasy since then. Like the, the 20 yeah, years yeah. since then, those two franchises have pretty much influenced and defined it. And obviously they both reach further back from the books and stuff. But in terms of cinema, those coming out at the same time, thinking where we are now in 2020, that's absolutely crazy. <laughs> they came out within months of each other. And as we've discussed on previous episodes, this really started a sort of renaissance kind of push to find the next Harry Potter franchise. So uh, production companies would hunt out these books about a young protagonist who what, you know, but isekai kind of stuff where they go <laughs> that, that, that that's an anime <laughs> phrase yes <laughs> yes yeah, it means to be transported to a different world and be like oh I, how did i get here i'm not from here in that kind of fantasy realm and like oh i'm so alien to this world um and so the idea that you'd have this you're a seeker you're a truth boy you're a <laughs> wizard harry that kind of shit oh he's the chosen one. Oh my god <laughs> yeah and there were so many non-starters they all had like one installment that went nowhere i mean like aragorn for things like all kinds of different things would just go oh my god, god those yeah. films are fucking terrible yeah good and, Lord. They were, and they all had the best intentions except the intention was to make fucking money yeah i i've never read the aragorn books but given that they were written by i want to say like a 16 year old they were indeed I, yes and i've seen people recently being like oh aragorn deserves another shot another film adaptation and sure. I, I remember, because I also worked as a bookseller, um, I remember kind of flicking through them and just being like, oh, it's Star Wars, but fantasy. Like, it's it's literally mm -hmm. a Star Wars plot with the numbers filed off and replaced with wizards. Uh, yep. and, and, and the title is Dragon, but we've moved the first letter on, one in the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm not convinced. I think I think it failed for a reason. Yes. Yeah, I, th I would agree with that. And Philip Pullman is another perfect example that you, yes, you just mentioned yes. that, man. Like, that was an, another big kind of young adult fiction thing at the time. Mm. And they tried to do the Golden Compass and that whole thing shat the bed, mm. and that was terrible. Mm. And they have actually redone it recently, and it was actually quite good, apparently. That's I right. haven't yeah. watched yeah, well, those, anyone. Those books are genuinely good and, and worth adapting. Yeah, I think it's the difference between that and we've seen this surge of young adult fiction taking over the books and taking over cinema and sort of science fiction and fantasy cinema as we know it as well. Mm. Obviously spurred on by things much later on down the line like The Hunger Games and The Maze Runner and Immortal yeah. Engines mm. and all this fucking bollocks that nobody mm. actually cares about apart from a bunch of teens. That was definitely and that was kind of like, like that you can see the waves of it where... Twi Absolutely, Twilight yeah, got big, yeah. and so you had fucking like yeah, beastly yeah. and beautiful creatures and sexy beasts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah. then and where to fuck them? And then <laughs> Hunger Games got big, and you had your fucking divergence and your. It's all post-apocalyptic yeah, young yeah. adult. Yeah. Oh, and the chosen ones are sixteen-year-old boy slash girl. Great, mm. yay! I no. mean, it's it's classic reactionary Hollywood where they're like, oh, this one thing is a huge success. It's the trend. Quick, follow it. Yeah. <laughs> Follow it as, and, and then of course this this then changed around about let's face it twenty ten or twelve when Avengers yeah probably twenty twelve when Avengers came out and they're like fuck they made Avengers work cinematic universes is everything now 
and we can't do a cinematic universe with these fucking books. So a lot of them, I mean, there's obviously still prime examples of a lot of these things still come out. Um, like, I am number four, we'll try and get that off the ground, that kind of thing. But yeah, a lot of it just didn't didn't work out. I mean, I will say in the Pullman defense, because um, Tim's right, those books are quite well done. I think they're more of the tier, like Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings. So yeah, very influential and very important to a lot of people for, you know, they grew up with the books. And I've, I point this out, I think it's to my wife about this, about how the idea of the books getting darker and darker and darker because they're released obviously on a two-year basis or whatever it is, and not on a, 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 a Game of Thrones style thing where it takes forever to get them out. Um, and you can release the entirety of Game of Thrones between the release of two separate books <laughs> mm, as a TV yeah. series. Um, they were coming out as the kids were aging. So as the kids were getting older and dealing with difficult stuff, the book was aging with them. And that's actually quite cool. But that only works in that moment. Because after that, the child of today, for example, says, oh, I'm of a certain age. I want to read Harry Potter. I think it sounds really cool. Cool. Um, or alternatively, I want to watch these movies. Yeah, of course. No problem at all. Uh, you can only watch the first two. Why? You can watch the third one next year. Why? Because it starts to change. And so you're yeah, not that a, a, a friend of mine does that. So he's been doing. Oh, really? Um, like watching them year by year. So you can watch one Harry Potter per year, and you age yeah. up. So his son is aging up with the the films. That's interesting. Which is a really interesting way of doing it. It's like I I guess I kind of did that because I'm basically the same age, give or take a year or two, with mm. Emma Watson and Daniel sure. Radcliffe and all that lot, and. He's doing the same with video games as well. I was like, here's my Atari. You will start on this. Very interesting. Good luck. <laughs> and then and then in like once you've, you know, played enough Atari and you're enjoying that, you can then move on to the NES and then move mm. on to the SNES and then branch off into Sega if you're stupid. Mm. And and he does that kind of thing. I was like, that's a really interesting way of doing it because we're in such a binge culture now, yeah. like with net things like Netflix, mm. and we're getting Netflix producing their own series of films or like a collection of like it's a mini series or whatever, and it's like six basically feature length episodes or whatever it is, which I can mm. imagine them doing. Like if Harry Potter came out now. That's almost certainly what we would get would be this like miniseries type thing or like an HBO miniseries, but for kids kind of thing. True. But I find it fascinating that, you know, the way we experienced it is so different. And the, the hype around Harry Potter was like something a little 11 year old Jack had never seen before. I remember reading some of the books and kind of getting into them and then seeing the cues for the books and the fanatical mad shit that was going on outside cinemas and all this kind of stuff and people driving past and shouting spoilers, which is still still my favourite, which is the sp spoilers for Harry Potter, by the way. <laughs> A guy drove past and was like, Dump Snape kills Dumbledore, Dumbledore. Out, out of his car window. <laughs> Isn't the response like, no! <laughs> yeah, A guy just drops to his knees and goes, no! It is a dick move, to be fair. It is, but it's very funny. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't me, because I find spoilers quite annoying. But mm. yeah, is that is that might be like the best spoiler I've ever heard of. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it like that and drive past at midnight. Like They've been queuing for like 14 hours. They're all Bye. in their sleeping bags. Snape kills Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> I, this, I love that idea, but it's it's horrible. But yeah, uh, living around that time, and as I said, I'm kind of similar age to all the characters and the, and the actors mm. and things like that. Mm. It was a weird thing experiencing it year to year to year and kind of aging up with everybody. And I think 
I, I, I guess I, I only know it from that experience. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, yeah. Because I feel I like binging so. it would just be too much. And there is, as you said, Matt, there is kind of a tonal shift about halfway through where there's something like, oh, it's getting real dark and serious and it's all silly, magical fun. And then shit gets real and people start dying and when stuff. People and people murders, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when Cedric Diggory dies, you're like, oh, there's an actual death and they're taking this, like, yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting seeing that through a 2020 lens, I think, and... That that will we will talk about that in the pitch, perhaps mm. Matthew, because that might mm. come up later on. We'll see. It's fascinating to look at Harry Potter as a franchise because it was for people of our age and younger, it was such a huge phenomenon, and even people older than our age as well. It was such a huge phenomenon. There had not been anything like it. I I, I don't think there's ever been a children's book that has had that same reaction no in terms the sales numbers agree with you too. yeah in terms of, in terms <laughs> of the hype around it and the i completely agree you know yeah. just just the the culture that generated that that coalesced around it there's been mm. nothing like it and so and then you had the films which kind of built on that and though there was a huge you know fervor around them and so you have this generation two generations even who have grown up with these books and these films and who have made these characters and this world part of their life and even without getting into joanne's twitter adventures which you know (laughs) over the past kind of six months and more especially within the last couple of months have soured a lot of people on the creator but even without that the speed with which these two films have lost goodwill in terms of like interest in the franchise is incredible because if you'd have if you'd have looked at most people who were Harry Potter fans when um you know the the, the seventh film was coming out or eighth film I guess because that's because they did double part for the finish and yeah, said like yeah. hey do you want another film set in the same universe and we're going to explore like some of the past and it's going to have Dumbledore in it and and uh, you're going to find out about like his his war with uh, um Grimblegore or whatever his name is um <laughs> most people would have you know wizard hitler yeah, that guy most people would have been like fuck yeah sign me up and yeah. i think that people who are passionate about this universe the majority of them and I, I, this is based on no research, obviously, but like <laughs> so many people who I know who care so much about, who cared so much about Harry Potter. And now you look at these films and they're like, yeah, fuck those films. They're terrible. Interesting. Yeah. So I think this is the key thing here. Harry Potter as a franchise, as both book and the key point here was the books were being released at the same time as the films were coming out. They were sort of being simul released as it were. Obviously, massive gaps ahead but people didn't know the end of the story when the first films were being released mm. they didn't know what their character was going to end up like so it was all a bit of a mystery and all going along for the ride and the three of us were there at the time as it were in various fashions and we absorbed it and better or worse whether you like the kid actors or not you got what you got blah 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 they're functionally very well made films the production value is high they're fun they're good for kids and that sort of stuff obviously there's lots of things that are really problematic the diversity issue is really fucking problematic. We'll come back to that later. No, but Hermione's black, right? <sighs> nope, she's not. She's clearly stated as Caucasian in the books. But let's do some retroactive diversity, Joanne, you fucker. 
Dumbledore's gay, and it's all like, if it's not on the page, mate, you didn't. So I'm really, I'm oh, pretty proud subtext. of my. No, there isn't. No, no, there isn't. And of course, then it got announced when film six came out. I want to say, at which point Gambon's performance slightly changed to "I love knitting." And it's like, ah, there we go. That's what he thinks. <laughs> well, the script thinks a gay man is. He likes knitting patterns. Um, but basically, yes, they're functionally well made and beloved and enjoyed, and the franchise has and they made fuckloads of money. Oh, stupid loads money. of money. Um, uh, Warner Brothers now are a bit of a floundering mess because of the whole DC stuff. But before that. <laughs> They were making all the money all the time. They were like a big powerhouse. Um, so we could all pretty much agree they're entertaining and still hold weight and water and worth for a lot of people. Fair enough. No problem. And also you've got like the Harry Potter studio tour in Leavesden in Britain. You've got the um, Orlando Studios things. Um, Universal Studios tour. And like, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in, the Warner in, Brothers in Universal, Flo- whatever it is. It's yeah. Universal, yeah, Universal yeah. Studios, yeah. yeah. And you've got them in, in Florida and Japan and other places. And they... they Although fuck me, the the the, the snow capped roofs in Florida, <laughs> dumb as fuck. Works fine in Japan, but the scale model of, of a Hogwarts castle thing—it's all very cool, and the world building is cool. Everyone likes it in the whole. You can be this, this, this. It started yeah. this whole. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lore and world building guy. Like I yep. love a well built, well crafted world that you believe in that you can get deep into the lore and all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's by far the most interesting thing about Harry Potter to me is like. Yeah. What happened outside of Hogwarts? Like, do, and, and to be fair, we get that in Fantastic Beasts. And that's kind of why I enjoy the first one, is we actually get to see yeah. Newt not be, being a, a, a... He's an aura, isn't he? Is he an aura? I, no, I he's, he's, just a, he's just a conservationist. Just a bloke. He's, he's just, just a, a zookeeper. Just a zookeeper with a suitcase. Um, yeah. And yeah, you get to see that kind of world-building, law-building kind of stuff. Mm. And I love that. I find that way more interesting than oh we've got a we got a chosen one at a high school. I'm like oh, I've seen this story a million times before. Great. Well, again, that's the thing. So much in the way you said about the well, sorry, you Tim said about that about the logic of Harry Potter fans becoming very disenfranchised because of these films. It's the same way that Star Wars fans in the early 2000s went oh shit, or like <laughs> as we said way back in the Matrix episode. It was like, 1999 as well. That's weird. Mm, it yeah. all happened at the same time. And it's the idea of saying, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Matrix, but just the first one. You have to have mm. the caveat, just yeah. the first one. So I'm stupid. I'm a fan of Harry Potter. Uh, oh, but what not about the Animatrix, going? mate? <laughs> uh, don't, you, don't you know the Animatrix? It's the best one. It's the best of all the Matrixes. It, it, Matrices. It is it's the best sequel. I knew you were going to say that. Now. Yeah. Um, but Fantastic Beasts... It did a bit of a, and the thing is, there was already a precursor that this wasn't going to work out well, which was hmm. the fucking Hobbit movies, yeah. which said, "Oh dear." The, the, and this is the thing: things we would usually say is the best uh, action to take. How do we ensure this is going to be a good follow-up and/or prequel? In this case, I know we'll expand the world building to a huge degree. We'll make it more mature, so it's not just for kids with the chosen one story. It'll be a big sprawling mature story but that families can get in with and enjoy and at the same which means you can pick up where you left off with Hallows, Deathly Hallows 2 and on top of all that um, it'll be a really interesting story by the creator who has control of everything and usually you go that's how you know it's going to be good and then George Lucas comes over and says now I have full control I'm going to make the prequels and you go oh fuck uh, I've got full control and uh mm-hmm. 
I'm going to fuck everything up uh, for everybody to ever make a prequel ever again. You guys like tax policy? (laughs) (laughs) You ever heard of a uh, political blockade? I've got this uh, great uh, Jamaican guy. He's going uh, on, and then the animal's going to fart on him. And, uh... You know how uh, the Japanese love taxes? (laughs) (laughs) And with that, you then had, like, oh, with the, the Hobbit stuff, we're bringing back um, Peter Jackson and all the, the, the New Zealand crew, and you're like, good! Oh no, this is awful. Why didn't you just get Guillermo del Toro, which we wanted in the first place, a two-part, yada yada, so on and so forth. So sometimes it's not great. In the same way that it's like, hey, never say never again, or what the fuck ever it is, the, the almost yeah. unlicensed, unofficial Bond film. It's like, we got Bond back! And it's like, I didn't think I wanted to see this. We've oh. got Sean Connery back, oh. and he's playing a weird laser board game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking weird film. But uh, wasn't that? Isn't it another version of Thunderball? I, I believe so. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, it is. Anyway, so it's not always a precursor to it will definitely work out as a as a success. And j- no, no better is that a case than J.K. Rowling, who was so protective and so the face of Harry Potter and controlled her thing because she's obviously a fucking giant billionaire, whatever the hell she is. She had the ability to say, "I have the rights for everything. I have the control." I control what goes into this. And that's fine, except she released like the cursed child and a few other meddling bits of pieces and everyone going, oh, okay. Now I miss, I admit, I haven't seen the cursed child on stage, so I don't know what it's like because I've heard people say it's good on stage. I've read the, I've, well, I haven't read, I've seen, Emma has read the the, the script, the screenplay, the play, play, (laughs) um, uh, which is a fucking terrible idea to release that, but it sold gangbusters because Harry Potter. And it sounds like shite. Utter, trite, sequelizing necessary bollocks that we would have to fix Most in an alternate universe. Uh, that universe is definitely going to be coming, by the way. My understanding of it is that, from people who've seen it, the way that they do magic, the way that they visualise some, the ha- uh, some of the kind of the fantastic elements of it, is absolutely astonishing on stage and like a miracle of stagecraft. And the story reads like bad fan fiction, basically. <laughs> like genuinely, yes. genuinely yeah. like 13-year-old writing this in the back of their school notebook. Yeah, and then uh, their kids are going to meet up and then they're going to time travel back to, to Harry Potter times and then they're going to do this thing. And like there's a secret... Back to the future. Secret kids and stuff like that. I have... I have I, I, I own The Cursed Child. I never got around to reading it because I heard such bad things about it. That I was like, yeah. well, fuck that. I'm not reading a play written out when I know it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that's the, the, the interesting thing. And that's why Fantastic Beasts 1 is interesting because this is one of our examples of where the rot sets in. Because I don't mm. mind that film. I think it's fine. I if, agree. If, if I may, gentlemen, I'm going to read you an excerpt from my oh, oh, I love it when we dip dip into the archives of the redrighthand.co.uk. It says, Wizards and shit, what a load of bollocks. <laughs> um, I hope that sums three up. Three out of five. <laughs> Oddly enough, it was a three out of five. Hey, um, that's yeah, exactly five, what it my, should be. <laughs> my summary was, a great deal of positive and captivating elements are sorely marred by overambitious effects, a meandering plot, and shallow characters rob of development thanks to a we'll come back to that in a sequel mindset. So. It's fine, but gets a big thumbs up from me, then Matthew. I agree. Yeah. I disagree. I think it's a Ooh. very bad film. 
Um, oh, interesting. I think you hate the first one, let alone the sequel. This is yeah. this is juicy. I th- we'll come back to that one, I yeah. think that it um it makes a very common mistake where it it mistakes being dour and overly serious mm-hmm. for mm. being mature. I agree. um i, I agreed yeah. i as much as the harry potter franchise like we said has grown up with the people that read the books you are now there has now been a significant gap between the last book and the last film and then this new franchise and so i think saying well we're going to have it carry on growing up is a mistake because you have now a whole generation of kids who read all the books post it coming out and are only, you know, 13 and maybe don't want to see a film about, a ma- you know, dealing with the kind of, you know, oh, let's check in on these abused children in this orphanage um, yes, and that kind of yes. stuff. I I think that the times it tries to be lighthearted, it goes for stupid fucking slapstick um, and terrible painful comedy it it really doesn't have a sense of like how to balance the lighter and the darker stuff um mm. and it doesn't it doesn't really make any attempt to be family friendly it feels like it's aiming for like a like a sort of teens upwards audience there's no real aside from the design of the creatures there's very little nods towards the fact that genuine children are going to be taken to this <laughs> um I think it continues like the the graying color palette of the Harry Potter series kind of worked over time. I don't understand why it has to carry on into this and be like super depressing. Um it's incredibly white for a film set in New York in the 20s. Yeah, um yeah it is. I don't think the world building is particularly good. Um I think like Compared to what there is in Harry Potter, which even like Harry Potter has its flaws when you sit down and really think about it. Um, And I think that very little consideration has been put or or care, especially not the same level that went into the books, has been put into these films when it comes to Mm. just thinking about like, well, how the fuck does that work at like a larger scale? Um, yeah, that's a huge problem I have as well in for the whole franchises in general. And I just think, like, I, d- I, d- I don't think this film knows what it wants to be because part of it is like, oh, it's a, 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 a fun beast capture movie where, uh, you know, Eddie Redmayne's going to chase around New York and recapture his beasts and have a fun adventure. It's like, by the way, uh, here's some abused orphans. Oh, and Wizard Hitler is on the rise. Uh, <laughs> and it's so muddled. And it, I and I g- genuinely think, and we'll get back to this when we start talking about the crimes of uh, Grumble Gruffs, um, <laughs> it has, there's no foreplanning to it, which is bonkers, given it's the kind, it, it, in a way it's very similar to the Star Wars new trilogy, mm-hmm. where you're like, mm-hmm. hang on, you have this you have this giant multi-million dollar thing and you didn't work out where you're going with this story like what the fuck are you playing at agreed yep this is something i referenced this in a previous episode actually but i'm gonna come back to it again uh the netflix series dark that i really really enjoy um i feel like i can't have a conversation with you without <laughs> yeah. you bringing it up like matt matt mentions dark everybody drink yeah <laughs> 
but it, it's it feels like it's like planned from start to end and whether it is or not it doesn't matter it works perfectly because of that but more important is going to bring up uh, alexandre dumas uh the the 1800s french author naturally he of course of course could you be more a, matt stogden right now he was a wizard <laughs> no he was um well he is one of my favorite authors he wrote for newspapers who published like serial novels and he wrote various books and bits and pieces and blah 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 he would release titles like the count of monte cristo or something like that over a long period of time as a oh buy next week's newspaper to find out the next bit of the story like dickens used to exactly it was a classic thing to do around that sort of period of time everyone kind of did it and that's how you and also that's how you stayed alive as an author you got paid by the word basically so you just drag it all out when it came to novelization and them actually be put into a book, a single book form. Obviously, basically did a draft edit. Went, okay, that, uh, I rambled too much there. Well, let's just marrow it down. There was a recently, I say recently, maybe 2002 or something, a recent rediscovered um, book that, um, uh, that uh, Dumas did about Napoleon. And um, it, it, it didn't get very good reviews, basically, as it's re-released, because it's like, yeah, it doesn't have the edit. So it's just literally the text as it was printed week by week. And because of that, it felt a bit meandering. If you have a plan, then you're in a much stronger place of what you're going to do. And I, I, even like if it's like an ABC, like these are the things I'm going to put in because you can put clues and stuff. Now, obviously, a lot of studio heads might be apprehensive to do that because you'll end up with, well, it's the internet. They'll guess the ending, the, the Game of Thrones issue, basically. And then you're trying to outdo them by just giving them some wacky bullshit out of the corner of nowhere. So, Fantastic Beasts, as Tim said, the biggest problem, lack of a plan. And then, but the whole like, oh, but we've always had a plan. Like, no, you're making up as you fucking go along <laughs> because it's three films then it's five films and it's back to three films again or whoever the fucking knows how much it is. And it's so all over the place. And unless you were to write several manuscripts and hand them all over in a box and say, these are the films, go make them. Then you just make up with the, the seat of your pants kind of thing. And unfortunately, that's what we have here. And this is the... I mean, spoilers for my, my, my pitch. The first fix you do, figure out what the fuck your story is. Because Tim was right. It's two stories mashed together. You have this really surprisingly twisted dark story of children being beaten with fucking leather straps and xenophobia and witch hunts and shit. It's, you know, straight out of a really lame is kind of sort of setting. Speaking of, uh, well, Hugo in this case. Or alternatively, you have the... I'm I'm just a really quiet soft boy who likes animals. I'm going to do the dance for the rhino, and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but I do like a character. I'll come back to a little later. There's one thing, one thing that 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 for me saved the whole film because I enjoyed. It. I thought it was fine and functional, but one part of this movie, I I, I have no shame in admitting this. I have no shame in admitting this. Genuinely got my heart going like. Yes, I am on board for this film. I know exactly I what you're talking it. about. It's Johnny Depp. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but yeah, Tim, over to you first. Yeah, I think like I don't think you even need like to have written out every film in full or a treatment or whatever ahead of time to to make this work. But like and and as we said, J.K. Rowling is in full control of these franchises. She has absolute creative control, which is normally something that I'd be like, wow, that's really great. Like, the original author has managed to retain all their rights. It's not getting changed. But, like, you also get to a certain level where you're like, this person needs an editor. like, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and an editor yep. who can stand up to them and be like, 
no, you need to go back and work harder, Joanne. Um, like, the first film happens, and, you know, fine. It's, it, 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 in my view, I, I don't like it, but I can accept that it's a mediocre film kind of thing. Sure. Um, but then the second one, oh, that character who died at the end of the first one that we saw explode into a cloud of darkness... Uh, actually, he's alive and he's in Paris. And also that character whose memory we wiped out at the end of the first film. Oh, actually, he's still got his memory uh, because because uh, oh, it, it it would have only taken his bad memories, and these were good memories. Fuck off! Like either you like I don't understand how that happens when you have one author writing both of those movies with very like like. Did she basically just get to a point and be like, oh, I've kind of written myself into a corner. Oh, I'll just wave my hand and undo it. It's fine. You know, or did she get the feedback from the studio of like, oh, actually, people really liked Jacob. I want to say his name was like, can we have him come back? It's like, yeah, but I don't want to think about how I have to do it. Like, I don't want to have to, even though it's a universe with magic. And so you could have someone restore his memory because you know you could introduce plot reasons why like oh no he 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 learned a thing when we were on the previous adventure but now we've locked it away mm-hmm. in his memories and so we need to find it out it's like no he just shows up and he's he's fine it so he got his memories erased when the the thunder is it a thunderbird that takes off at the end yes. of the I want to one? say an actually very important native american yes. thing but yeah, yeah. so the 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 big beast that they've been chasing the whole time takes off and uses its magic to make everyone forget. The, yes, the, shits out amnesia. It shits out amnesia, <laughs> and they, uh, which they need because there's just been a big wizard battle. And so they've revealed that magic exists to all this this entire neighbourhood in New York. Men in black. Yes. Two. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then it comes back and, and he goes, oh no, because my memories were happy and, and it only took away sad memories. It's like, well, that implies that every single person who looked up mm-hmm. and went, oh, my God, magic is real, had entirely negative reactions to that. There was no one who was like, oh, this is like wonderful or, or surprising and shocking. Like, no, every, everyone was sad apart from one man who was happy. And so it worked perfectly yep. fine. It It is insanely frustrating. If it was a situation, and let's take the Star Wars um, sequels for a second, love them or hate them, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. They were different directors, different visions, and I'm not going to say, I'm going to say this, there were three different directors. One of them was J.J. Abrams. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because they produced very different films, different feel, different everything, the script, the treatment, everything. Um, Much to the detriment of those films as a collection. Individually, they may work on different levels. Who knows? Except for the third one, which is garbage. Um, but <laughs> this one is one creative who is so strongly possessive of the characters and, more importantly, supposedly knows the world because they built it from the ground up. Now, obviously, you can, you know, live long enough to see yourself become the villain, as we all know. Mm. Um, but it's, it's bizarre how a writer who should be literally deft at writing yourself out of corners and situations you've put yourself in can't come up with a better reason. And I don't know if that's just not enough time, which is a studio interference thing. Who knows? Maybe there's too much pressure or alternatively, if it's a sense of not that fucking good, I don't know. Um, or alternatively, if you could have just, I mean, 
the writing room mindset of sequelizers. Sometimes we get so frustrated and bogged down in these things that we will have a conversation afterwards and bounce around the room a little bit and go, what about this? That's exactly what's missing. Thank you so much. Mm. That's exactly James Mangold it. in my Wolverine pitch is the perfect example of that. that. We all have them. They're already great examples. We go, oh, you're fucking right. You're totally right. But there's no one with Rowling. There's only her and her weird backwards opinions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and, uh, and not to harp on about how much I don't like these films, but mm. I feel like it's... I mean, that's kind of what we do on this show. It, that is true. I had, to break, I had to break it to you. That is the, literally the point of this show. I feel like it's a real sign of desperation and weakness as a writer that mm. this film... I don't mind that it comes up with a whole bunch of fantastic beasts. That is... Does it, though? I mean, it comes up with a fair few. And that... I, that yeah. I'm perfectly fine A couple with. of cute ones and some weird exactly. ones. Exactly. Like that... Maybe mm, not any fantastic ones. That is kind of... <laughs> the. If, if you're going to make your film about that, then I want to see some interesting things that I haven't heard of before. That's fine. The fact that it invents stuff like the Obscurious or Obscurio, whatever it's Obscurial. called. Yeah. Like, your world has so much lore in it, you should not have to rely on coming up with a weird new thing to mm. drive your plot when what you really what you really need is take all of the ingredients that you already have and just come up with good characters and a good plot involving them. Like you have enough tools that you you have you spent seven books creating a relatively rich background. You also have now a new setting for it to take all of those things and put them in and explore and explore a more grown up world where you've got mature characters dealing with it. Like you have enough toys in your toy basket. Like why do you need to come up with new stuff? That is surely a sign of like even though it's a new idea, it's kind of showing you've run out of ideas. I think that's a product of how, ultimately, how shallow the the world building is in Harry Potter. Because my main problem with it is that the magic just doesn't make any sense. And my fa- one of my favorite things in fantasy is when you build a magic system that has consequences, that has rules, that has regulations, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it takes energy to cast a spell, or it channels your body heat, like the Patrick Rothfuss uh, Kinkiller Chronicles books, or whatever it is. Like, there's some element that, like, limits it. It's like, nope, you can just do magic all the time, and why don't they just do magic all the time? Oh, we just repaired this entire building and wiped the memory of literally everyone in the city. Why don't you just do that all the time? There are no consequences. You are limitless. None of this fucking matters. And that that's kind of, I guess that's J.K. Rowling written herself into a corner there of like, oh, we have all this shit. Let's just make up some other more crazy shit. Like, you have enough crazy shit already. Yeah, but that, that is the thing. It, that works in Men in Black and of all fucking things, Jupiter Ascending. If Jupiter <laughs> Ascending can make it work. Speaking of Eddie Redmayne. You have no excuse. Another thing as well, something we actually brought up in our Smoke and Aces uh, thing, bringing real world events in. Now, this is a little oh, bit in yeah. the first one and very important in the second one. So we're going to transition now to crimes of uh, the, the, the Gruffalo. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> first things first, bringing real world events into your thing makes it very difficult. So for example, Harry Potter, I don't know the book's exact years. I think they start in 1997. Is the way it's supposed they, to start? Yeah, they correct. finish yeah. in 1997. Sorry, yes, yes. The first, the first book was published in 1997, which is when the seventh book ends, effectively. Got it. Correct. That, that's exactly what I was thinking, because I'm like, they don't cover 9-11, which I'm, uh, I'm grateful for. <laughs> um, 
even though the Can films obviously don't look like the fucking 90s they're the, clearly the two theaters they fucking filmed in um <clears throat> and that's fine the wizarding world and the muggle world don't always mix and therefore don't always make fucking sense mm. but that's fine because it and i hate to have this dismissive phrase it's a kid's book and therefore it's if you look at the tone between deathly hallows part two and the philosopher's stone it couldn't be more separate. One so <laughs> rich in gold and color and look at all this new stuff. Oh, I'm going to school for the first time. And then you have the last one where it's literally all my friends are dying and I might die as well. And it's like, wow, this is literally the story of someone and going now off. Now we're all really sexy and we don't yeah. want to talk about it. <laughs> we'll leave that well alone. Um, but Fantastic Beasts highlights World War One, and Jacob Kowalski fought in World War I in Paris. And he's a whole point of his story is that he was in Paris, learned a lot of things about, you know, he wants to make a, you know, a boulangerie um, in New York, which I'm pretty sure New York would have plenty of. Um, but he wants to do that. And I understand that. And that's a really good thing. Um, by the way, just get back to what I was saying earlier, Jake Kowalski is fucking brilliant. I knew you I love the say, performance. Yep. I love the guy. I love yep. his relationship with Queenie. It's fucking genius. It's I love it. It makes me film. so happy. I'm, and that, if that film, Fantastic Beasts, has been a stand on its own, where she walks in the shop and he's making the, the muffler, niffler, biffler, niffler. Yep. thank you, um, cakes, and he's like, I don't know, I just have these ideas, and he sees her, has that twinge in his face, that fucking got me, it shouldn't have, it's, it's rote, but I'm like, oh, that's nice. And that's fine. However, the second one completely pisses all that, we'll get to that later. But he fought in World War I, and then Eddie Redmond's, Eddie Redmond's, says that uh, he did as well in the dragon division or some bullshit. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's said like in a proper Star Wars prequel way where it's like, oh, do you remember that thing on Keita Nomura? That's, uh, that's the a clone war. It's a much more interesting <laughs> thing that happened off screen. Yeah. And it's like, wait, wait, the World War I also had wizard battles. <laughs> what? Implying that they're happening, they're happening like simultaneously, like alongside the ranks of soldiers at the Somme is like fucking just a bunch of wizards being like, jolly ho, let's ride our dragons. Ah, it's really visceral. And it's like, but it nobody knows they horrific. exist. But yeah. What? What? I don't it make I any don't sense. So I, I sort of see where that's going. Fair enough. Because you don't see it. You just reference the real world and you just sort of glaze everything. Okay. Which brings us to flatly and painfully like a, a squatted shit on the floor as you walk out your own house. The Crimes of Grindelwald. A.K.A. Vaping the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. So. It's <laughs> my favourite way of describing that fucking scene. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting sulfury smell you got there in your vape. It looks like the Holocaust, but it smells like maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> the first film ends with, and I'm going to say this, Colin Farrell was great in that film. He was a good he, villain. Yes, and the, he's one of the few yeah. shining lights. Yep. Yeah. And um, Waterston was underused, unfortunately, but they all kind of made it to this very acceptable romp. And then it's like, oh, by the way, this guy who is blatantly the bad guy is the bad guy. And you're like, well, yeah, obviously. But then he starts morphing and warping. And, and if you went like on opening night and didn't see it coming and <laughs> bleach white hair fucker with a shitty eye comes out and it's like, oh God, it's Johnny Depp. And I remember being in the cinema and there was this collective Oh. Yep, I had, the audience I was in had the same reaction. I, I want to say, like, obviously fuck Johnny Depp for him being a bad person, or at least a person who desperately needs to sort his life out. Sure, 
in court currently as we record. Yes. But also, fuck him for coming, because I'm sure this was him, coming in and yeah. being like, mm, yes, and for this one, I'd like a bleach blonde hairdo and moustache, and my eye shall be funny. And it's like, motherfucker, you are meant to be the person who <laughs> Dumbledore <laughs> almost threw it all away for, and you look like <laughs> a fucking toilet brush in a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! You're not wrong, Tim. You're not Although wrong. They, never, his hair would definitely be brown. It'd be never that clean. Mm. Um, so um, I was going to say you're entirely, entirely on it because Johnny Depp notoriously does say, "I want to be in this thing. I want to." And w- when he wasn't at the height of his power, when he did like Sleepy Hollow, he was like, "Oh, I want to make Ichabod really ugly and a big, you know, fake nose and all these things and and warts and stuff." Shut up, and, Johnny! <laughs> and Burton said, "Fuck off!" Um, but then you got to like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and. Um, and Alice in Wonderland, and he's sort of like, oh, yeah, fuck it. Big pink, big, big orange wig. Go for it, mate. Do what you like. Yeah, break dance. <laughs> I don't give a shit anymore. Break fuck. dance. Oh, fucking hell. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, break fud, dance. Fud whacker or whatever the fuck it is. Oh, um, God. So, yeah, that was a rug pull, and it, it, it underwrote the film. It was only like a couple of seconds, so you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. But then you realise, oh, shit, that's where the next film is going. Next film gets advertised, and the whole reaction has been like, okay, well, let's just see where it goes. The first one wasn't that bad. It didn't, it made a fair amount of money, not the right amount of money, but a fair Mm. amount of money. Um, Lots of clashes over, again, diversity, representation, all that sort of stuff, saying it's not really enough. We've got to do more, got to do this. Um, it's, It's not enough of an adventure. And then Crimes of Grindelwald comes out. Now, to say, The Crimes of Grindelwald is convoluted (laughs) is an understatement. (laughs) I think this is one of the few sequel, prequelizers, sorry, few prequelizers things we've fixed, and definitely even sequelizers things, that's Emidius Res. You know, that we're we're in the process of this, we're in the eye of the storm of this franchise. It's not an old thing that's been Mm. reworked. We're literally not sure what the fuck is happening with it. Um, It's, it's, it's not going to go away because there's too much investment in it. There's too much money to be made out of it. But we don't know how many they're going to be. We don't know when they're going to come out, when they're going to be shooting, what's going on. Did an Doesn't... Avatar thing where it's like, is it, is it a trilogy? No, there's five. There's, there's seven, six, six, five, seven, six, three, two, three. Let's make three. I think Precisely. it's three now. I think it's three now. And it's a lot to wrap up in one go. That's um, two too many. <laughs> Precisely. As a standalone, Fantastic Beasts is just this uh, disappointing feature. But this makes it a big problem. Um, so I, I, I believe with all the baby switching, this is what people think they wanted. And by people, I mean Star Wars trolls. <laughs> think they wanted from The Last Jedi, where everybody is of the most important significance ever. Mm. They're all special. They're all related to the people you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's a baby on a boat, but the baby is, is a Lestrange. Oh, I know that name, Lestrange. Okay, but the baby got switched. Oh, shit. Well, what do you mean? Well, the switch baby actually was just a nobody. Oh, okay. And then the last second, your name is Dumbledore. And you're like, fuck off. Yep. What are you talking about? And the thing is, it's not just like it's clever canon or, oh, shit, I recognize that. That's a thing that the fans and everyone else know. It's trying to subvert the super fans as well. And therefore, you end up with things that don't actually make any sense. Like the two dumb. Again, I don't know the full canon. I don't give a fuck. But the two Dumbledores I, I have seen 
which is uh, Michael Gambon and uh, Kieran Hines in one of the Deathly Hallows films, talk about a sister who died. Fair enough. Yep. They didn't talk about fucking The Flash, who was also <laughs> their brother. Correct. Yeah. I remember that moment in the cinema because, like I said, I quite enjoy the first one. Emma really likes the first one. And we're like, okay, let's go see the second one. Yeah, let's go see it together at the cinema. And we don't often do the like, let's go see something together at the cinema kind of thing. And we got to that moment. I think Emma out loud went, fuck off. Like, <laughs> you are Dumbledore's long lost brother. What, what is his name again? Don't fucking know. Credence, Credence the character's name. Oh, no, sorry. He's Credence, yes. Ezra Miller's supposed Credence, but what's his Dumbledore name? Credence his true Dumbledore. Name? I feel like it's, it's not Remus or something, is it? Um, Krava Magava. Aurelius. Aurelius Dumbledore. Aurelius. Oh, fuck off. Yes. God, that's so annoying. Allegedly born Aurelius Dumbledore in the year 1901. I do not know that you were on a boat that wasn't the Titanic, but might have been the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> well, the um, fact that, like, oh, the the bad guy, essentially the bad guy, is is creepy old Ezra Miller creeping about, called Credence Barebone, like fuck off, <laughs> and he has sisters called Modesty and Chastity. It's like we get it, we get it. They're repressed. We we they're like super like evangelical early twentieth century Christians. We understand the puritanical nature of this. You don't need to call them modesty and chastity and credence. Yeah. Fuck but, off. But the, 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 the acting from those individuals was good. Miller did a good performance, and he was twisted by fine. Farrell. And he, they did great. They did fine. This film, they do less good because they're all so confused, and everybody is, is so interconnected, and it's, it's so... It's like, oh, I want everyone to be... Everybody has to be related. Everyone has to be of great significance. That's why, again... This, this evaporated individual comes back and happens to be just in Paris somehow. But again, you can explain that with magic. You just figure it out, but, you know, just... Eh. I mean, this is basically the third one will be Rise of Dumbledore, and he will, at the end, <laughs> go like, and what's your name? Like, uh, uh, Credence... Uh, Potter. Dumbledore. <laughs> I feel like, oh yeah, it's so beautiful. What, what an amazing, what an amazing moment. How, how emotional. He's going to be Harry Potter's fucking granddad. That's Something like that. Up. Yeah. Something has to be, has to tie in some bullshit. Like what's your name? Oh, I'm, I'm actually going to be a new name. Credence. What, what are you going to call your son? Granger. I was like, oh, fuck James. Off. I was like, fuck off. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And the thing is, it's going to be some While we're joking, like it probably will be. Um, <laughs> but. We joke, but it might do. As you said, we're in a unique position where we're waiting for the third one. Well, not, not like, <laughs> with, any, with any anticipation. Dreading, I think it's the verb. Dreading the third one. It's like, well, yeah, I guess that's a thing. Uh, and we don't know how this is going to end, but it's going to be painful. Mm. So Grindelwald is bad across the board. Uh, the, the characters yeah, he vapes all... the Holocaust. He's terrible. <laughs> he vapes the Holocaust. Because uh, again, the real world event stuff comes in and he shows and you the Holocaust bomb. and topic bomb. And they're like, we have to stop the evils of humans. And like, wait. I'm kind of on his side. He's <laughs> right. The, the, the clear Nazi is trying to stop the Nazis. Um, I'm okay with that. And I don't care about wizards. Um, and and the, I mean, it's something that Jane Nicholson brought up in, I think, her review, initial review, which she also saw, and talked about Rowling, you need to do more diverse stuff. It needs to be more diverse, please. And then she said, okay, well, what about I have a story about uh, this awful man, white, white man, who 
mind the whitest the, of men yeah a happily married black woman to be married to him who then she dies, dies in childbirth I'm like that's fucking gruesome mm. well done for um, a mixed race daughter uh, that he hates because it reminds him of, of you know his his sin of loving black people I'm like wow well, that's let's horrible. not say the word mudblood there because <laughs> oh, yikes Jesus Christ yikes. exactly and on top of that you've got the reveal the the fucking snake <laughs> it's a Korean lady oh. <laughs> A Korean lady oh, is a fucking so snake that she claims was always meant to be. That was always part of the story, and it's like bollocks. Go uh. jump up your own butthole because there is no way. Yeah, either that's not true and you're an idiot, or that is true and you're a fucking monster. It's <laughs> like <laughs> pick your way, pick, pick your poison. Uh, and then finally, we have the Goldsteins. Now, technically, Queenie Goldstein, I don't think it's ever confirmed, but I think Rowling came out and said, oh, by the way, she's, they're Jewish. And it's like, what? I mean, it yes. makes sense um, with that surname in, you know, 20s yeah, in New, New York, York and things like know. that. Correct. And that's, again, that's fine. Um, except that she effectively joins Wizard Hitler. Yes. And you're like, and I can't, I can't stress this enough, Queenie and Jacob were the thing that got me through Fantastic Beasts. I... <laughs> Genuinely liked that relationship. It was fun and it was cute and sweet and innocent. And then she, she, magic kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit rapes him um, into making him fall in love with her. And then he's like, no, I just want to, I want to be with you. And then she goes off with the crazy Hitler bloke to. He's trying to save the Jews, right? Save the. Oh, it's so fucking. I get that you can actually do that plot well. I I I say this quite frequently in episodes. There are things you can do. You can do someone who says, I'm trying to protect you and does the worst possible thing because we live in 2020 and look the fuck around <laughs> you. So many people have been like, I'm voting this way because I'm trying to protect you. It's like, you're ruining my life. Um, that's just how people operate. And you can make that work as a characterization. It doesn't work here in the slightest <laughs> at all. Absolutely and then not. Fucking Tina and uh, Newt. And Newt is an interesting character because I think uh, Jack's fiance Emma points out he's a very interesting uh, protagonist. He's not a chosen one. He's not some buff hero. He's just I a made the mistake earlier. He's not an aura. He's not an anything. No. He's not a special. He's just a guy who likes animals, yeah. and that's actually very very interesting. Except that he doesn't do that in the second film. He becomes the fucking chosen one that everyone's after and everyone's heard about, and it's he's massively important or some bullshit, and it becomes very rote and very lazy very very quickly. The second one also, like, in the first one, there is a little bit of a kind of vibe between him and, um, who's the one who's not Tina? Queenie? Tina. There we go. Uh, there's a little bit of a vibe between him and Tina and a little bit of kind of acknowledgement of like, oh, maybe there's interest. But there's also, you could completely read that film as he is not particularly interested in women or romance at all or not in this particular woman. Like... You know, and then the second one, it's like, oh, they're in love now, uh, but they, but they yeah. keep, but they, they, but they, they're, they're bickering, and she's mad at him because his brother's engagement announcement had his name in it, and she thought it was him, and now she's oh, pissed so off stupid. with him, and it's like, like you have slammed on this. It's like fucking when Vision and Wanda show up in uh, Infinity War, and you're like, oh, you're a couple oh, now. Yeah. Okay, I guess we just yeah. hopped over that bit of character development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even you kind of touched on it, Matt, and building on that, like, Newt is 
possibly like maybe you're like on the spectrum of autism or, or, or Asperger's mm. or something like it's kind of implied that he's not particularly socially adept and but he's very clever and very quick and all this kind of stuff and like again it's kind of that like oh, oh it's just sort of hinted at that there's some diversity here but there's not really and if that was actually explored and like if if we had done that and turns out maybe he's like aromantic or asexual or whatever he's he's yeah he's ace then we could explore that and make that an interesting thing. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no I'm, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. And, and you could have him be like a stumbly British quirky... Yeah, American who's like, well, why don't you throw your feelings? It's like... Exactly, yeah, yeah. I expected you to kiss me, Newt. And he's like, oh, I'm not really experienced in these kind of things or whatever. And like, you could make that interesting and add some diversity into a all-white cast and make that a bit more interesting and just True. make something of it but they just like drop little bits of like oh Dumbledore's a bit eccentric he's gay I'm like well, uh-uh, no uh, okay N- Newt's a bit kind of like uh, unable to handle social situations like are you gonna are you, is he just he's just a bumbling British man in America is he just Hugh Grant at this point like okay great but that's from like the woman who wrote um oh we got an Asian character called Cho Chang <laughs> who's in the really nerdy one who likes maths and a fucking Irish guy who blows things up. What that's, the fuck? That's exactly what it is. It's, it's Why are we all, all surprised? Fu- to all these fucking stereotypes just coming back around and being like, yeah, just make everything exactly how it is, except the, you know, the actual interesting diverse <laughs> parts of it where we'll just not talk about it and then retroactively imagine they were there all along. But it could have done, but it didn't, and it's so annoying. There's a there's a really great video by pop culture detective called uh, the fantastic masculinity of of Newt Scamander that kind of digs yes. into some of those things and and how he kind of is this unconventional hero, um, and it is such a shame to see him just kind of devolve into being this much more standard model. Um, yeah, and like and while we're talking about like diversity and and sexuality and stuff like that, like it, it a it was so stupid when. J.K. Rowling was like, oh, yeah, by the way, Dumbledore's gay. Like, there's no textual evidence for this, but, you know, go for it. Or, I suppose, very scant textual evidence, but, you know. Um, but now I want points for diversity. Um, and then this film is so terrified of of saying that. Like, Absolutely. it's so yep. visual. It's like, hmm, yeah. we were closer than brothers. And that's about, like, it's like, why can't you just say you boned? <laughs> I, God forbid we can have them kiss or something and be like, whoa, it's like it's like Star Trek back in the day. They're doing the first gay kiss in the history mm. of cinema. Yeah. Right, right, guys? It's, it's, it's the first one. Nobody's well, ever done this before. We're breaking new ground. Especially considering it's Warner Brothers. You could get ahead of Marvel, who are literally tiptoeing their way to... And Disney are like, hey, we're trying. We're not really, really... We've we got gay really characters. That. Do they have Maybe names? No. Uh, they're on screen. Maybe it'll if blow you, over, right? Binoculars, they're on screen. <laughs> yeah. But that's the point. I think Warner Brothers could have got ahead of it, but of course they're in the pocket. They oh, can only the do so much. studios are terrified it. of doing this shit because of conservatives across I mean, the world. That's the thing. Yeah. You've already scared off like the conservative Christian lot because it's about witchcraft and the wizards. <laughs> yeah. They're already boycotting this shit. Sure, yeah, but that's like the hardcore evangelical oh, yes, yeah. nutters. Like, mm. there are plenty of fucking oh, I, I know. Slight, slightly less yeah. hardcore right conservatives who still hate the gays and hate the blacks sure. and hate 
the Chinese and the Koreans and all this shit that's happening. Like, of course, because Harry Potter is so widely appealing. I think they're really, really afraid to push it in any direction whatsoever and take any risks whatsoever. God forbid they offend anyone whatsoever or or have a statement (laughs) about anything. And you're like, he's gay wizard Hitler, but not at all. Any of those things, except for the wizard bit, I guess, because to, he to vapes be fair, the Holocaust. <laughs> to be fair, I can imagine a meeting at Warner Brothers where they say, okay, so these characters are, are gay. Yeah, it's like, yes, they are. There's a whole thing about how they... I mean, even like, you know, in, in Deathly Hallows part, whatever it is, where you see uh, Jamie Campbell, Bauer, some other actor playing a young, mm. you know, Grindelwald or whatever. And it's like, yeah, and they are totally into each other. Okay, fine, cool. Wait, this guy who does all these atrocious crimes, like, you know, Voldemort level bad, is gay. Yes. That's going to poll really badly that we're like, oh, our really pronounced gay guy. Is it? Yeah, but also so is our like, hero guy. But he's not our hero guy. It's the guy who likes animals. They're going to think we're like, oh. Because again, you know full well, if they went full whack with it, you would have the same thing happen with Mass Effect. Where they said, oh, by the way, in Mass Effect, you can explore so many options and different things. You can have sexual relations with people. And of course, Fox ran with it like, you can fuck anything. You see everything. It's so sick. You know for what they'd say, there's gays in this. Well, does the guy who likes animals fuck all the animals? I bet he does. That's why they're fantastic in bed. And it's like, how did you make that weird leap? Because you know, those same individuals make the leap from homosexuality to bestiality to paedophilia. You're like, they're How all the did same, right? There? They're all unholy, unnatural yeah. things. Completely different stuff, entirely different, but I'm glad you made your way there, you fucking psycho. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a prime example of, like, why just having a good base of diversity is good, because if you've got multiple examples of queer characters in your, you know, fictional universe, then mm-hmm. when you've got one who happens to be the villain, then it's not, oh, I'm portraying, like, I'm not associating gay characters with being villainous, as you know Disney sure. did for huge chunks of its uh, time, or at least massive yeah, yeah, queer coded yeah, characters. Yeah. But like, yeah, when there's only two gay people in the Harry Potter universe, according to J.K. Rowling, yeah. you know, and one of them is Wizard Hitler, <laughs> who's trying to stomp the who's Holocaust? trying to stop regular Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. They're is, battling is it, it out so for Hitler's supremacy. Like, yeah. I mean, you could say, it, you could do it much easier. You could do the Carnival thing and just make it like, you know, why are you trying to stop the atom bomb going off? It's like, you to stop lives? No, because science is a threat to us. That's all it needs to be. You don't be have a threat to of technology. Yeah. yeah, technology and all that stuff. And that's, you know, man becoming too powerful. But then it's also the vampire argument. If these people are so super fucking powerful, why are you scared? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> What's the problem? The magic, as I mentioned, is fucking limitless and undefined. So you can just wipe the memory of everyone and mm. solve all of your fucking problems and kill anyone you want and transfigure anyone you want. Mm. Because the fucking, like, it's a huge thing of like, oh, you can't do magic without a wand. And and then a bunch of wizards just do yeah. magic without <laughs> a wand. Yeah. It's like, yeah okay. True. You get fucking, um, uh, what's his name? The front man of the Stone Roses, Ian, what's oh, his face? Yeah. Uh, oh, he's stirring. It, and he's shit. stirring a thing without yeah. a wand. He's like, whoa, he's got to be a powerful wizard. <laughs> like, or 
And he's just doing that because it was funny and he's staring his tea yeah. like it doesn't fucking matter. But yeah. they made this, they made this usually, they, they imagined the limits are there. I'm like, oh no, you've got to be a serious badass motherfucker to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Except everyone and their fucking grandmother does all this bullshit that like is super powerful anyway. So a fucking 12 year old can kill Hitler if he really wants to and he's basically <laughs> indestructible. So. Mm-hmm. Or why are you flying on the backs of dragons and fighting in world wars when a single wizard can basically just stop time, wipe everyone's memories, reset history, and just win a war single-handedly? Like, OP none, there, there's no fucking stakes. None of this matters. You could all solve this problem in eight seconds. Oh, no, this whole, oh, this whole city block's destroyed. Now we'll just reverse time and change it all, and it'll re- rebuild itself in, like, five minutes. Like, then why do you care about this fucking obscurial running about smashing up the place? Because you can just fix the problem straight away. None of this fucking matters. Yep. It just drives me nuts. This is my most annoying thing is when it like, oh yeah, this thing really has stakes. It's like, but all the characters are super powerful, so it doesn't fucking matter. Somebody pulls a gun on him, they they can just like catch it with their fucking one. I don't know, so build a shield or something. Do, <laughs> do they do shields and stuff? Like... Yeah, it just uh, this just annoys me so much. And they they bring all these like, oh, it's Wizard Hitler, but he's not really Hitler. Well, what, I mean, let him do some holocausting, maybe. Then he will actually have a crime of <laughs> Grindelwald to be like. He hasn't actually done anything. He just hangs about, just telling credence. And he ki- he kills that animal at the start. Helped him get out of jail. That was pretty disgusting. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a speaking crime. of which, the opening fucking scene. He breaks himself out of oh, jail don't, yeah. no. <laughs> because he's breaking the guy who he like transfigured to look like him out of jail but he's not in jail so is that Grindelwald being a really good dude and looking after his minions like what are we supposed to take from that opening scene where he's like super creepy and weird and murdering everybody but actually that's not Grindelwald at all and that's another dude like why are you trying? What are you trying to say with the scene? In theory, it's a really cool opening scene. It reminds me of the bit like where they're all flying the bikes through the clouds and they get attacked by dementors and stuff. It's a big like I mean magical aerial battle and stuff. It's like him nope. being transported in a fucking carriage is fucking stupid. It's all Victorian nonsense, isn't it? In this fucking franchise. Well, given that they have established like three other different methods of instant transportation in the wizard world. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, why not just, why not use the flu network? Why not use sidelong apparition? Why not use uh, a port key? Now we're going to fly him in this yep. thing where we can be attacked in midair. Um, oh, oh, to, 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 yeah, they build all those rules and they throw them out the fucking window. To jump back oh. to, to the magic system. Like Harry Potter mm. has this like notoriously soft magic system with no rules, and you can tell mm. that it became a problem when in the seventh book, uh, that J.K. had to be like, oh, and by the way, there's these rules about wands of like once you've dispelled like someone's spell with their your what now oh, you hell. technically own their wand, and so their yeah. magic won't be as good against like yeah. scrambling uh. to put that in at the last minute because otherwise it is just like well. Voldemort did a spell, and then Harry Potter did a bigger spell, and then there's the, the bigger spell. And then it's fucking Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> because, yeah. <laughs> and they're just, ah, just battling the... They, they literally do that, to be fair. They have the beams of thing, like, yeah. crackling against each other, which is a, you know, a, I don't know, a Gallic gun versus Kamehameha type thing. <laughs> but it's that... Th- but not as cool. It's that thing of, like, if there's no, if there's no rules to your magic, then you can't 
use intelligence to find a way around a problem because any problem can be answered with well i just do a bigger spell because there's no because there's if there's no <laughs> yep. limits to it and no rules to it it just becomes like well i try harder um yep. and yeah it, it, that that's it's a problem also known as the dragon ball escalation <laughs> yeah. problem which is a problem <laughs> in shonen anime and shonen manga yep. where the powers just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So you get Super Saiyan, then Super Saiyan 2, then Ascended Super Saiyan 2, then Super Saiyan 3, then Super Saiyan 4, then Super Saiyan Blue, then Super Saiyan Mega Blue, Ultra Instinct, Ascended Mode, whatever the hell that thing is called, point, point, Pointed Instinct Ultra Blue, or whatever the fuck it's, it's like, called. It's like, yeah, like, it's like, like Super Saiyan God. Yeah. God, yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's, and they changed it. It was like, no, God's God's too strong. Uh, super <laughs> Saiyan Blue, yeah, Blue God, yeah, Super yeah. Saiyan, Super Blue God, Super Saiyan. Like, okay, right. So what's next? Like, I don't know. Because, and not to go on a draggable tangent, but you know, talking about powers and stuff. Like the moment when Goku goes Super Saiyan three against Boo, and he screams for like thirty seconds straight, like, yeah. to go even further beyond, like. They could do that in the Harry Potter thing and just be like, oh, yeah, well, I've created a new spell that outdoes a Vada Kedavra. Yeah. And then, like, actually, like, oh, Grindelwald has been crafting his own spells and he's the only guy who can, like, make these new evil spells because he's Wizard Hitler or whatever. Like, sure. Nope. He uses the same fucking thing that Draco Malfoy, the 14-year-old, does. It's like... Well, then none of this fucking matters if a 14-year-old is as powerful as Wizard Hitler, yeah. essentially. Like, oh, no, no, he's the most powerful wizard. Well, you're all doing, you're all doing, you've all got the same powers. What's the well, difference? Yeah, this is a real problem with, we talk about escalation and prequels, how it's a real problem, because you go, in a sequel, it has to be bigger, better, badder, bloodier, yeah. because that's the nature of what you expect from a film or a story. It has to progress and escalate. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes it can work very interesting ways. And you can always tone it down a bit, like Logan or other things and pieces of like, oh, that's just a more intimate story. Now. Okay, cool. Strip it down a bit. Fair enough. Prequels, when you escalate them above what has come because the audience needs it, it doesn't always work for the story. World War II didn't come before World War I. <laughs> um, um, so in this case... And Dragon Ball like, Z didn't come before Dragon Ball, am I right, Matt? Dragon Ball's so different, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but <laughs> if, if you had... Put it this way. Voldemort is still worse than Grindelwald. Mm. Yep. And he's Grindelwald more powerful and more is... scarier and is actually a good villain and kills loads of people and does has loads of followers and stuff. Grindelwald does none of that fucking shit. Yeah. Basically. He does he does very little. He's he's like how a lot of people do Moriarty. He's just like I've been pulling the strings from the background. Oh, cool. To do what? Don't know yet. We'll find out in film number 19. <laughs> not, like, oh, not, you, not the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. And we know what happens. He ends up in fucking prison. That's the end. Yeah. We know that. We know Dumbledore fine. defeats him and he ends up imprisoned. Because Dumbledore Luke's told there. us that in the other films. Yeah. Although Dumbledore is an old fucking liar, so who the fuck knows? Yeah. Can't trust old magical gay men. That's the thing we've learned from the Harry Potter series. I mean, the other thing is, is that our protagonist of this is Newt Scamander, who has no fucking connection to 
like the reason that he's involved in these plots is because someone basically comes along and goes, please, please get involved in the plot. Please don't just look after your animals. We're begging you. Um, I, I, I really, I really like to just uh, uh, spend some time in my suitcase and hang out with my little tree no, friends. We've got and my movie little, tickets my... to sell. Please get involved with the plot. Which, again, is an actual analogy for World War One and Two. You want to just get on with your life, do your own fucking thing, but this thing's like, no, no, we have to do this now. And, and like, they touch really upon that in not. the first one. Like, he has his whole, like, it's yeah. not my problem, mate. This is, I, don't know, I don't know what you want me to do. It's not my problem. And eventually gets dragged into it. And then, as we said, like, by the time he gets to Crimes of Grindelwald, it's like, Newt Scamander is the one man that can stand against wizard Hitler. Like, Fuck well, off. no, that's Dumbledore. We know that's Dumbledore. <laughs> Did you mean to make a young Dumbledore well, th- film the, and forgot? They clearly <laughs> should do, because, like, based yeah. on everything that we know... The interesting relationship, the the the, the thing where mm. you have a personal relationship with the villain, is They're Dumbledore a closer than brothers. Closer, it's a very personal relationship. Brothers. Yeah, and so, like clearly, that is where the emotional stakes of if you're going to make these films about Grindelwald, that's where you want it to be. But Dumbledore's barely in these films. <laughs> They're like yeah. saving him for I don't know a rainy day. <laughs> Doodle's expensive. Yeah. Um. Here's, here's the thing, because obviously listeners might be thinking to themselves, obviously this is a prequel to the Harry Potter films, and you are correct. Either you consider it a prequel to Philosopher's Stone or a prequel to Deathly Hallows Part 2. Who the fuck knows? Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a prequel to all eight of them, yeah. technically, but yeah. However, at the same time, here's a question. The tangential link from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is that Newt went to Hogwarts. I think... <laughs> and he meets Dumbledore in the second one. Yeah, so, so in essence... And Nagini, don't forget the snake, very important. Nope. <laughs> so in essence, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is a spin-off, and yes. Crimes of Grindelwald is the actual prequel. Yeah, kind of, yeah. So it's it's like this is the spin-off, so you can introduce the character of Newt, so you can bring him into this prequel. So that's why we're going kind of talking about both of them, because technically one isn't actually a prequel. Um in the sense of what we do and all that. Stuff. But then ultimately, as we've discussed before, at throughout this entire season, the problem of what is a prequel. And we started with the very first film, and we're now at the very end of the season and thinking to ourselves again, how do you do a fucking prequel? Um and I think painfully. Yeah, clearly, like, like birthing a fucking jagged yeah. rock. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it wasn't a bad idea on paper to do something that's set in the 20s. And again, if you were talking about sexuality, my God, the 20s had so much really interesting stuff. It's like the, when women wearing trousers became this huge fashion statement that everyone just immediately leapt up with. The, the, this, I mean, I, I, there's so many images of like these really underground 20s bars, Gatsby sort of style, with alcohol flowing and so much sort of uh cross-dressing sort of stuff with like you know women with slicked back short hair dressed as men and dudes in dresses and it's all you know the 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 extravagance and opulence of success power and money which of course was then horribly juxtaposed with the fucking financial crisis and financial crisis sorry with the 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 great depression and everyone losing their money and then obviously sorrow misery and finally world war ii um, but the, the roaring twenties, as it were, is a great period of time to set something in for the ones to say, if you want to see like, in the same way that George Lucas talks about, you know, oh, it's just an old man and, and a young boy. I want to see like when the, when the Jedi were at their power at their peak, as it were, 
And it's like, yeah, show me that wizarding world at its peak. But then if you show me the 20s, you're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff that unfortunately you can't just dismiss with, oh, and by the way, um, racism is still huge and women don't have the vote. And you're like, oh, fuck, that kind of stuff. But then you turn on his head and say, but in the wizarding world, it's slightly different because look, the person in charge, she's a woman of color. It's like, yeah. And she's, for lack of a better word, quite dumb. She gets taken like hoodwinked every time. That doesn't help. You've done a very bad job here. The idea of a Fantastic Beasts film is a commendable one. It's an interesting one. Sure. The execution, disastrous. I would also say the problem is David Yates. For the first few Harry Potter films, first two, Chris Columbus, uh, third being Alfonso Cuaron, which is like, my God, Cuaron, for God's sake. It's so weird that he's involved. The fourth one is Mike Newell. Um, and I must admit, he did a good job. I really enjoyed Goblet of Fire in terms of direction stuff. If you see behind it's the scenes, favorite stuff, one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's a really good spectacle. His his um, direction with the kids when he's talking about to the two Weasley twins, he's like, "You guys start wrestling because you're pissed off with each other," and then they're on the floor. He said, "Okay, th- this isn't working. Sh- let me show you wh- which one of you wants to wrestle with me." And they're like, "Uh, <laughs> you're you're our boss, and this is weird." <laughs> but he literally. It, not in a creepy, grabby kind of way, but okay, he literally good. shows them, like, you know, your, your fucking brothers, your kids, do this. And he's like, actually, and then he, he's like a 50-year-old and goes, okay, I, I feel really old now and I feel out of breath and fuck it. But the point is, his direction was very, something they could gauge with. And David Yates, Order of the Phoenix, I thought was the first misstep. It was quite flat. I was a bit bored. Um, then Half-Blood Prince, really fucking good film. I commend David Yates for that one. That was fun. And Deathly Hallows Part 1 was a bit of a Part 2, Part 1, Part 2, Mockingjay Part 1, Part 2, Twilight, Breaking Dawn Part 1, Part 2. Is, you know, you split a big book like that, you're going to have problems. But David Yates' stuff with Fantastic Beasts 1 and 2, they're just very straightforward. There's not a lot of actual personality to them, in my opinion, I don't think. It, you know, the, the production design's fantastic and really interesting. The setting, obviously, being American stuff. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, yes. Uh, Magical but, production. God damn it. But I... Um, yeah, I don't know. And actually, by the way, as we were talking, there are still apparently going to be five Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> Fucking hell. Really? I thought it was down Alleg- to a trilogy. I thought uh, it was originally five. seven and then back down to five and then down to three. Mm. Because the second one didn't make that much money, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, the second one did not make much money. Um, yeah, the, this so thing they, that made I thought like, they dialed it back down to a trilogy. Um, again, depends on what happens. But the thing is, that, okay. So just talk about World War Grosses very briefly here. Um, each one of the individual installments of Harry Potter make just under a billion dollars. Fucking hell, give or take. And the 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 seventh and one, that's early two uh, thousands. Billion dollars, yeah. not not the twenty twenty. Every film gets a billion dollars. Exactly, and the eighth one <laughs> makes one point three billion. It's like, oh my Lucky god, that's no. huge. Fantastic Beasts one makes eight hundred million. That's a that's a that's a success. Mm. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. The next one, which was critically panned, mm-hmm. made six hundred and fifty million. That's not good. That's... Sequels typically do better than mm. the, the first yeah. one. That's a classic. That's thing. in yeah. fact the worst performing of all the Harry Potter films. All the it's the world worst films. of all the Harry <laughs> of all the Wizarding World films. In that terms makes of like sense. The, that's, yeah. So, but that's still a fuck ton of money, mm. and they'll definitely keep choking on that pipe. <laughs> all all it means is that they're just going to reduce the budget for the next one, and so it'll look that's, worse. Oh no, yeah. oh, no. you're that so might right, work. Tim, and I hate if it. If you if you can't do as much, then maybe you can actually make it better. No, they'll just no, do, they'll it do really badly. They'll do exactly the same. They'll just do it badly. Yeah, 
Yep. They're not, they're not exactly going to be like, there. oh, okay, let's strip down, let's let's do a weirdly grounded Harry Potter film. They're going to be like, no, we're just going to have one where everything looks dog shit. <laughs> I, I think you're referring to uh, the Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> Already looks, it's two hundred million. Look like shit to me. I, I will say, I actually quite like the Order of the Phoenix film, mainly really? because, yeah. and you you mm-hmm. will not have this as an experience, Matt. The book is it's the thickest of the books it's super uh there's a load of padding in it and also for all of the things that she is talented at writing jk rowling can't write action for fudge nor money um and so (laughs) the end fight scene i in order of the phoenix i really enjoy in the film because a it clarifies what the fuck is going on yeah, where where um serious dies, yes, is it? Yeah, yeah. I agree. Actually, and, that's that is done yeah, well. Yeah, and it's yes, actually yeah. quite interesting and stylistic. Where in the book sure. it is a complete mess of a sequence. Um, oh, okay. So that's that's my primary because it cuts down all of the nonsense uh, in the book and the bits where Harry Potter shouts in all caps. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, um, oh, how are these books so successful? <laughs> Yeah, I I, I like it as an as an adaptation, but I do agree that he is. That's fair. That's fair. I feel like they went with Yates because he was again in the kind of Marvel sense, like he's someone that they can tell what they want, and he will deliver yeah, absolutely. exactly what they want, yeah. and yeah. he won't fight. He back doesn't on have stuff. a strong vision, yeah. So they can mm-hmm. just be like, "Do what we tell you, David. Just 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 do do as you're told. You you'll make you'll make half a billion dollars easy. Just 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 do it. Just do what you're told. Fair enough. That makes sense. I understand that. Should we fix it? Let's let's do it. I suppose I suppose we should, shouldn't we? Before we get around to fixing Fantastic Beasts and what they smell like, um, we should talk about our sponsor, Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium. I'm sure there are literally hundreds of Wizarding World uh breakdowns. Oh, definitely. definitely. About the 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 from everything from the books to the AR style games. Who the hell knows? It's, it's it's a veritable variety of things. Um, on top of that, you get access to Stitch Originals. You get bonus episodes, comedy albums, lots of things. Um, the prices are very reasonable: four ninety nine dollars a month, or alternatively thirty four dollars ninety nine a year. Which again is really really good if you think of how much things like Netflix and all this stuff cost cost you. That's quite quite a decent bargain. Uh, if you want this, you can go to stitcher.com slash premium. And sign up with the sequelizers code S E Q U E L I S E R S. Um, and you get a month free on us. Um, which is great. Insert Gringotts Bank joke here. It's pronounced sequelizers, not sequelizers. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Well done. So thank you, Stitcher, for sponsoring us for series five and series six. Hopefully I'll be back for series seven to bring us some more goodness. Um Accio. The next half of the episode. So before we actually do fix this, we should talk about Rotten Tomatoes. Um, now, just if anyone's like freaking the fuck out, don't worry. I'm not going to do all the Harry Potter. <laughs> Thank God. That's going to be my first question. Yeah. We're going to just do Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Just two. Which Eddie Redmayne never tells us. And Fantastic Beasts. The suitcase. In his suitcase. <laughs> the suitcase. Yeah. It's called smuggling. He's a mule. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes, question mark, of Grindelwald, and the other two, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, mm-hmm. shut up America, 
and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So the start and end of the Potter bit mm-hmm. and the two Fantastic Beasts films. Okay. So if That's you want to start big. with uh, wherever you guys want to start, really. You tell us, Matthew. You tell us. I will tell you. Start by taking your trousers off. Um, could you... Um, I'm wearing trousers. You're wearing shorts? Yes. Fucking freak. I'm wearing jeans. I'm boiling. <laughs> so let's start, with, um, let's start with Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. That's in our head at the minute. Let's start with okay. that. Actually, no, I take that entirely back. Matt edited that out. Let's start with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. It's the start. It's where okay. we started. We were there at the time. Go. High as fuck. I think it is going to be a really high rating. I would argue too high because I don't think the first film is actually particularly good. Mm. But it was such a huge moment in cinema, as I mentioned earlier. I think it's got to be... eight. 88%, please. And to reiterate... Rotten Tomatoes oh, yeah, is not yeah, an yeah. aggregate score. This is not a score out of 100 and not the, the average scores of all the different critics' reviews. Yeah. This is the percentage of positive reviews of critics, both at the time and since then. So it's a whole mixed bag of bullshit and it's a terrible fucking metric, but it's hilarious and we love it. So yeah. that's why we do it. Bear in mind that I gave it a positive review, technically with three out of five, and I said a lot of shit about it. So. <laughs> no, that, that's <laughs> Fantastic in, Beasts. That's sorry, not Philosopher's yes, Stone, right? Yeah. No, I didn't review Philosopher's Stone. I started yes. reviewing the fourth one onwards, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, Tim, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone may be the Sorcerer's Stone if you're like terrified of philosophy. Um, like Americans are. Huh? Yeah. I, I think slightly lower than Jack. Mm. I think okay. there because it is one of the weaker ones, and, and I think there'll be some contrary critics out there who'll be like, "Well, really, when you get down to it, it's just standard it's kids, kids pap." Yeah, yeah, uh, true. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say eighty-three. Oh, okay, okay. 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 So still eighty. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a okay. mad. And man. so, I'm not crazy. Um, so you got that? That's two thousand and one. Let's jump ahead ten years to twenty eleven, which was fucking nine years ago. Oh my god! Um, yes, so uh, nine years ago, um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. I remember it being received pretty well. I seem to remember thinking, like, yeah, this is pretty good. Like, yeah, this is cap- capping off the series quite well, ish. I reckon slightly lower, but not much lower. So I will say, I'll go for 79, please, okay. for Deathly Hallows Part 2. See, I'm going to go the other way. I think, it, I think it's going to go up. Ooh, interesting. Because it's the end. Because it's the end. So mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, 89%. Okay, okay. Sneaky, Tim. Sneaky, I like it. I see, I see a tactic. Let's bring see. us now um, from the from the years of the 2011s to 2016 only five years later i thought there was a longer period longer gap yeah in those movies feels like it was i mean the, yeah. given the fact that they were basically coming out once a year for a long period yeah that once, gap, a, five years once every 18 months at least you know yeah exactly so fantastic beast one so i i think it will be lower but I think there will still be. I think people, basic critically, critics will basically be like, you know what you're getting into. 
uh, with this one. Do you mean like with an uh, unexpected journey with the Hobbit, where they said it's not Lord of the Rings, but it's the world, and I'm happy enough to be back here? Yeah, this. or kind of almost like okay. a like a an MCU film now. Like someone oh, would right. rate, yeah, like yeah, someone yeah. would rate, you know, like Ant Man and the Wasp, and they basically go like, if you know Mar, you know Marvel <laughs> films, you know that you're probably gonna like it. Um, I do not like that film. That's the worst worst film. Uh, So I'm going to say like 71%. Okay. Jacques Chambier. Uh, Probably about the same sort, around the same sort of things. It's mostly received positively. And the fact that it's more than half is a positive review is is certainly influencing me here. I will go around the seventies as well. I think I will go seventy-five. Okay, proper full three quarters. Okay, which and I, I, I don't think I gave you any clues because you know you were there at the time when it was released in <laughs> uh, in twenty eighteen. Um, but the crimes of Grindelwald was panned. It bad. Yes. Um, so how bad do you guys think it is? I'm hoping for a classic sequelizers drop off here. Like <laughs> I I want like 40 or 50% lower than this shit hopefully. <laughs> so I'm going to go 75, I got a ball here 50%, 25, dropping down, okay. dropping down. A, a, a traditional sequelizers drop a real off of 50%. Dick. It is. Yeah. The film was garbage. So oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Tim, I don't think I don't think the drop off's going to be quite that much that was me uh voting with my heart not my yes. head <laughs> oh no i get it i get it how low i wanted to be <laughs> uh i'm i'm gonna go for a slightly more conservative uh i'm gonna say a 30 percent drop so 41 okay i can yeah i can see that happening yeah a quick tabulation here shows me that bar three percent or three points as it were Tim almost clean sweep the whole fucking thing. Wow. But it's a three to one. So let's see. In the order given, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, you guys said um, 88 and 83 respectively. Um, the score was 81%. Mm. I'm not okay. averse to that. I think maybe high 70s, but it's actually... It sets the tone for everything that comes in those films mm. and the production al- alone for the design of Hogwarts and the emblems and all that shit is important and it does a good fucking job of it. So actually, I'm okay with mm. that. No problem. Deathly Hallows Part 2. This is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it is the highest wow. rated of all the Harry Potter wow. movies. Wow, I thought that would have been Prisoner of Azkaban because people mm. fucking that love is, that. That film. is very it's, high, but it's yeah. not this high. Prisoner of Azkaban's a weird... There's some people who really fucking hate it and I do not understand why because it's... People people love that film. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very good. I think Goblet of Fire's bad, but it's, it's still... Because it's realised like, oh, hang on. These people can actually act. You've got good supports. This is actually well done. And it's Alphonse fucking Quarrel. Mm. It's, it's, like, it's, the, it's the beginning of them growing... It's the franchise growing up, isn't it? Really? Entirely, entirely. Yeah. So you guys said respectively 79 and 89. Uh, you, you both were way the fuck off. Wow. It's 96%. Whoa. And I think that's 96. just a fanboy. Yeah. Like, oh my God, they did it. They ended it. And it's like, yeah. And what's your point? 96. 96. That's I mean, up there with like Die Hard. Aliens. Well, actually, and I mean, Aliens yeah. and all this yeah, like. It's crazy. 
Yeah, universally critically acclaimed stuff. Like fucking I, hell, that is that is far too high. I think in a way that is, it's more of a recognition of the, the achievement thing. of. I was about to say it's yeah. the the Oscars for Return of the yeah. King bullshit. Yeah, isn't it? it's and, exactly. And that. when you consider this is this would have been not pre the MCU, but before the MCU had become as substantial as it has. It's pre the it's Avengers. The time of Thor. Yeah, yeah it's pre Avengers. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's so. Like you have these, you have eight films which tell one story across the whole of them that use a consistent single cast. Like that's kind of unprecedented. Um, you know, there you've got film series that are of a similar scope, like Star Wars, but don't have, don't haven't created that in the same amount of time, or have changed casts, or you know have big gaps in them, or you know haven't maintained a level of quality. And stuff like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. We we don't often like age up with the cast. That's a pretty yeah. unusual thing to do, so, unless you're yeah. doing something like Boyhood, yeah. um, <laughs> which is a very well, different method of doing it, it. it. Technically, again, the MCU is the next thing. It's, it, it gets is, the yeah. accolades because it's done the thing that was undoable. I'm not saying that nobody has ever done this before, because of course mm. they have in certain examples. But to do it this successfully from a fiscal and critical point of view, mm. where there's no fucking, for lack of a better word, crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> oh fuck, we've really fucked this. Yeah. There's a few bits where people don't like certain aspects of it, but they're all pretty universally loved by fans and people who are uninitiated. And that is a glorious success that Warner Brothers pissed up the wall. <laughs> um, so yes, 96. Fantastic Beasts. Um, this is the one that Jack got pretty much on the nose. Oh, nice. Um, it is 74%. You guys said 71 and 75. Um, yes, yeah, uh, 74% is, is again... Not unreasonable in my eyes. Maybe a little lower, maybe 70, maybe high 60s. I don't think it's that good. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a fair fair bet. Of people saying, for lack of a better word, it's better than shit. Mm. <laughs> Crimes of Grindelwald. You said 25 and 41. Uh, yeah, Tim got this one. I didn't expect to be right on this one. This is, <laughs> like I said, this is my no, wishful thinking. But pick. this is such a drop. I mean, now I'm going to roll through them all in order. Ready? Philosopher's Stone, 81. Chamber of Secrets, 83. Prison of Azkaban, 90. Um, Goblet of Fire, 88. Order of the Phoenix, 77. Half-Blood Prince, 83. Hallows Part 1, 77. Hallows Part 2, 96. Way to Fantastic Beasts, 74. Crimes of Grindelwald, 36. That's, that's bad. That is... That's I mean, bad. I would expect even something of this scale magnitude to do... I mean, like, um, even... I don't know what it currently sits at with like Rise of Skywalker, which creeps like, uh, no. <laughs> and you get like 50, 60% kind of thing. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> 36 is an utter travesty. Yeah. And I, it's, 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 let's face it, if they weren't already committed to it, they'd be like, pull the fucking plug right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And like, you yeah. can understand why they have gone quiet as a mouse on the development of all the other stuff, because that is yeah. like, if you look at other films that get 36%, they are some dog shit. Correct. And I think this is the interesting point where, I mean, you can't not talk about the politics and the things that are going on in the minute, but the idea that Warner Brothers and Universal Studios and everybody, and leaves them and everyone has a stake in Harry Potter merchandise future of the, of the franchise, can't get away from the fact that its creator, and at the end of the day, the person with the most creative control over the franchise, has some really hateful fucking opinions. And is very, very, very happy to vocalize them. And because you know full well, if they have that kind of creative control over a script, how long is it before there's an allegory that's really, really lazy 
that gets slammed into one of these movies mm-hmm. and you're like, oh shit. And then she owns the right. So it, it, it really is, as you say, they're going completely quiet. Like, let's just wait. This is the blow over. We'll see what we'll do. So yeah, the future, who the fuck knows? But let's, let's turn our eyes to the past. A prequel past, if you will. Mm. I'm about to blow your fucking mind. I might not. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Really boring. I'm excited. So it's time to fix the Harry Potter prequels, the Fantastic Beasts. But mm. it's a big task. There's already two of them. There's three more planned, apparently, which I still don't believe or hope never happens. Hopefully they die out at three and we've had enough of them. But it's also the season finale. So we thought, go out on a big one. Go out on a a bang, as it were. And Mr. Stogden is a a man who is known for... He's here to bang us. He's, he's He's a man who knows how to go out on a bang. I, I came here with a big one to bang. Um, this is true. So, so Matt, you've mm. planned three prequel films. Is that correct? Very briefly, <laughs> yes. And written essentially mini mini pitches for each one. Is that the kind of like, essentially? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I started writing this as a pitch and thought I can't write this and then say, oh, and then I have all these plans set up for like film two, three, four, five, or whatever, because. You know, if a Fantastic Beasts or even like a, a Harry Potter film comes out, it's not likely going to be just one movie. The studio aren't going to take that, especially as a prequel. Although Fantastic Beasts would have been good as a prequel, uh, as a standalone. So yes, I wrote a trilogy. That means they're a little bit, a, I do mean a little bit stripped down. So all it means is a lot of the subplot stuff and subtext is kind of stripped away. But this is still possibly our longest pitch. But we're going to do it a little bit differently from usual. So the plan is to go through each pitch as if it were a full prequelizer's pitch, then discuss it. Matt will go through the cast, we'll read and blah, 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 blah. Then we'll move on to the next film, read through that, go through the cast, discuss it a little bit, and so on and so forth, and go through all three. So you're getting bang for your buck here, ladies and gentlemen, for the for your season finale. It's essentially three films in one episode, it's going to be a big bumper, extra long. God knows how long the the final episode is going to Fucking be. Fucking who who knows at this Four point? Four hours. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a big beast. So yeah. But key things to, have, uh, to talk about here. That's why we're talking about the pictures in between. Jack and Tim haven't read this. Yes, yet. we're going in blind, old school mm-hmm. sequelizer style. Yeah. So when we get to the end of part one, I'll be like, what do you guys think is going to happen? It will be, as much as you're in the dark, listeners, they'll be in the dark as well. So the first bold choice is that due to her ridiculousness, and I don't know how, I don't give a fuck how, I know of all the fantastical things, goddamn puns, of all the things we conjure up with these movies, like, oh, what happens if Jack's in charge of Star Wars and gets to do a solo film? Cool. How do you distance yourself from J.K. Rowling when she is the franchise? And that's a very, very difficult thing to say. So for whatever reason, she's not doing it or she makes this pitch. That's all there is to it. Simple as that. Um, that's just the, 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 the conceit of what we're doing here. Thing number two to consider. I'm going to talk about the history of this universe. Some of these things have been, inverted commas, established. As I have maintained already, if it's not on film... I don't It's the canon of the films is what matters. Yeah. We are a film podcast, not a book podcast, I'm afraid. Yeah. And people say that's not how it works. My answer is neither was Fantastic Beasts until it was. Yeah. So who gives a shit? 
and that's not me being you know antagonistic or aggressive to start with. It's me explaining it as a, as a sort of a precursor. It's a little so, bit of you being antagonistic. Let's be real. I mean, that's who I am. <laughs> Fuck them. I, I'm pretty sure that when we when we started talking about this on more than one occasion, you were like. Fuck the fans. <laughs> I have very aggressively stated to you guys in confidence and privacy, fuck them. Oh. And now I'm doing it on air. <laughs> fuck them. But maybe they'll like it. I don't know. They won't. But maybe they will. So, um, the key thing here. We are shooting these back-to-back -back Lord of the Rings style between 2017 and 2019. That is purely production. And then we go into, oh my god, there's a fucking pandemic. Don't worry, we can still do post-production stuff. We can still meet our <laughs> schedules. And again, I am doing future dates here. So we are going with a question mark of the world doesn't fucking end. Wow, okay. And go for like seventh wave of coronavirus. Sure, so this could sure. be completely nonsensical. But we'll, uh, presuming, and as I we, said... We must have air, hope at this point, right? Otherwise... <laughs> entirely, entirely. What, what are we living for? Correct. That's what we do with sequelizers. We hope that there will be better sequels. So we're hoping there's a better universe <laughs> for these sequels to live in. But the thing here is... What happens when you come out with the coronavirus and everything starts to get to some semblance of normality? You need a big fucking franchise to save the day and bring everyone back every <laughs> year. Boom. 2021, 2022, 2023 is our trilogy. Bold. We'll go through the titles as this stuff goes through. Okay. Thing. The two things you need to know in advance. Thing number one. There is a director and a composer and all the other crew and bits and pieces, and they are the same throughout yay it is one unified image yay thing number one is the music go for lawn balfay or lawn bal um it's one of uh, the hans zimmer stable sort of people um he's done a lot of different stuff in terms of credits but it's a different um uh, it, it will still have like the john williams thing i don't think necessarily that james newton howard's score for um for fantasy Beasts is bad or anything i just think it's a bit Meh, and that's fine. Now, Lon he he has done some very meh films. I mean, we talk about some also some really fucking bad films, including Six Underground and um, all kinds of things. But if you listen to certain scores, like for example his work on the Lego Batman movie or the Ghost in the Shell live action one, yes, okay, it's not great, but it's still a good thing. Or um, Mission Impossible Fallout, which takes some really interesting light motif themes and makes them really big and epic and stuff. But I think he's a really interesting individual who can do a lot of stuff musically, because music is going to be important. And things. Harry Potter and the aforementioned Lord of the Rings do brilliant stuff with leitmotifs, having like, oh, there's Harry's theme, there's the Potter theme, there's Voldemort's mm. theme, and all that kind of stuff. And it really helps bring that continuity and like, it, it adds an, another layer of, uh, dare I say, subtext, and, and like audience conditioning, basically, of like, oh, you don't know this guy is necessarily a Death Eater or whatever, but hold on. That was, a, that was a variation on the Death Eater motif. That's interesting and that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. So, yeah, that totally makes sense. So you'll have various theme styles, but they won't be the exact things you're familiar with. And the same way, again... You'll probably get that at the title credits, yeah. So, the director. Now, this one is one I'm going to... Might get a bit of kickback from. Not from you guys, necessarily. I, I'm, I'm so excited about this, because it's such a bold choice. My director for these three films is D. Rees. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Who the fuck Who is D. Rees? <laughs> the most notable thing she's directed other than TV stuff is the film Mudbound, which I think is fucking fantastic. Um, it was a Netflix exclusive, I want to say. But it was really good. A lot of Oscar noms. She is effectively a protege 
of Spike Lee. Oh, and I didn't know that. She is a very yeah. She she went and worked at New New York University. Um, he, Spike Lee was her professor and mentor and stuff. And um, I think he, she has a really good eye for film. She worked under Spike Lee on Inside Man and other uh, when the levee break uh, broke and stuff. So she she has obviously a, a big involvement in film and she's very good eye for it. She's done a lot of TV stuff. Now the thing I know her from is a TV episode. I know her from an episode oh, really? of Electric Dreams. Philip K. did the oh, show okay. on Channel Four. Which is mm-hmm. very good, really good, and our episode's really good as yeah. well. So yeah. And the thing for me, I think, is that if anyone was to say like you can't have that person, they wouldn't be trusted with this huge project. Blah 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 blah. I would say you're wrong. We're gods in this universe. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> there is entirely that. <laughs> the key difference or key important thing here is that let's say David Yates. Can anyone name a David Yates film that isn't a Harry Potter or the Tarzan movie? I'm saying before then, he works in TV stuff. He's like, people come out of nowhere. And the thing is, the industry kind of tells you, oh, until you do this, you, 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 you can't, you, you're tried and tested. It's like, they tend to just give white guys all these things all the fucking time. And for a story that I actually couldn't diversify very much, unfortunately, it had to be quite white for reasons you'll understand later. I wanted a lot of uh, crew behind the camera who were people of color and doing very interesting new novel things visually and all sorts. And obviously she has great interaction with like actors when it comes to like um, performances and all these kind of things. So I think it'd be very, very good. They're the two things to get out of the way, first of all. So if you're all nice and ready, the cast for our first film, now as I say, they'll turn up later in different ones and different casts will be added. And we'll go through those as we go to each thing. Um, I'm keeping some of the Fantastic Beasts cast. Because the cast, in but, um, general, can be, is pretty right. good. In theory, is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to explain shit. I'm just going to say a load of names, and everyone's going to go, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of Harry Potter bollocks in there, isn't there? So. Most definitely. First up, Jude Law, playing the role of Godric Gryffindor. Oh, he's not He's not all Dumblepants. He's, not he's all got Dumbledore. Godric Gryffindor. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which... Fans will know or realise we're going back real fucking far. This is the, <laughs> not to spoil anything because I haven't read your pitch, the foundation mm. of Hogwarts then. Like this is the the the, Most the, the, the the houses coming together and forming the thing as we know it, this all that is, kind of stuff. Yeah, this is the big, you know, it's the nature of, you know, we, what do you do in the universe? What's the big thing? It's like, well, the school, those people that everyone's named their houses for, yeah. people have tattoos of fucking Hufflepuff and shit. <laughs> we're going back to that. I love a, love a good badger tattoo, B. I know there's tons of lore around it, but I don't care. We made <laughs> some new stuff. So, Colin Farrell is back as Salazar Slytherin. Fuck yes. Nice. I'm on board already for those two castings straight away. Time mm-hmm. me up. Great. In the role of Rowena Ravenclaw, Laura Fraser. Mm. Laura Fraser, most people probably know for one or two different roles specifically. Yeah. Um... Breaking Bad, she isn't there. Yeah. But also she's uh the armorer in a knight's tale. I never realized those were the same two people until I saw your cast earlier and was like, why do I recognize my Laura Fraser? <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, and it's known for being in the Knight's Tale. I'm like, that's yeah. She looks a lot like Lydia from Breaking Bad. That's weird. <laughs> and then the next like three sentences down is also Lydia in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yep. Holy shit, that's the same person. Wow. So yeah. I think she's, she's very great. interesting, very mercurial, back and forth. I Absolutely. Think she's really, mm. Yeah. Is she, is she Scottish? This is the key point here. Jude Law is English. 
Colin Farrell is Irish. Laura Fraser is Scottish. Interesting. And who is your fourth? We got we got a half. The fourth one, right? Helga Hufflepuff, which is kind of a British one here. Obviously, classically, you know, it's it's a it's a Harry Potter film. They've got a mm. British casting. Ruth Jones. Ruth Jones. People will know for pretty much one thing in this country: Gavin and Gavin Stacey. and Stacey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she is a Welsh uh, writer and actor, and very much, in my opinion, fits what Hufflepuff, on a surface level, is a big, friendly woman. Mm-hmm. Who's just the life of a party, but also a bit dour and sour at times, mm-hmm. and like sort of a bit, bit open um, thing. So I think Ruth Jones is a great choice, and I think it's the kind of thing where you like go, "Oh, I don't know if you lead a whole film with that." It's like you're not Jude Law and Colin Farrell, the names in this one, and the, and like if you think about Harry Potter, it's always like tons of theatrical cast members and people who've worked in British TV Fucking and Kenneth everyone's in the Harry Potter films. You're like, oh yeah, exactly. Like Every fuck is in them. Yeah, yeah. Also, the fact that. Ruth Jones is not a huge star, and James Gordon has like a talk show in oh, America. It's a tragedy. Did we we got is. the wrong one out of that, didn't we? <laughs> we got the wrong yep. Gavin and Stacey writer. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. So playing the role of Helena Ravenclaw or Helena Ravenclaw. Oh, okay. Uh, Ravenclaw's daughter, not Scottish, unfortunately, but British nonetheless. Millie Bobby Brown, aka Eleven from Stranger yeah. Things. Cool. Next, we have Baron Sveidiger, played by Ludger Berkelman. Now, obviously, I've been talking about this for a while, so obviously I've got some dark boys in <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, this is um, a guy who plays the young version of Ulrich in, um, in Dark. And he's just a young German actor, and he's fucking cool. And he's got that kind of swagger and bravado. It's like, you know, the kind of... Uh, when you're a teenager, there's some cool, edgy kid... And, Tommy from the Power Rangers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the byword for cool teens. Like a young German Jason David Frank. Exactly. So that's what we're going with with that one. And I think um, with what we have planned for him specifically in, 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 the, uh, in the story and stuff, I think it will be... just occurred to me that the colours of the Hogwarts houses line up with the Power Rangers quite well. And that's a crossover I'm surprised I haven't already <laughs> seen on DeviantArt. <laughs> Um, so yes, he's in the book Thief and um, other things, and he's obviously done uh, you know other Western things. And he's, he's he's very good. He's in Dark. Actor. We know Matthew. Yes. Right now, obviously we've got a big sprawling cast. We've got subplots and all sorts of things here. So I'm going to go into tangents a bit, please. But there is a role of a guy called Glewin, Taron Egerton. Taron Egerton's great. Mm. He actually he is. He's a standing actor, and I think at this point everyone would know how big and good he is. It's the kind of thing like shooting 2017, 19. Kind of thing. Obviously, you'd still have to be in parts and bits and pieces. Anyway, then you have Sivna. Uh, that is not how it's spelled on the page. It's S-U-I-B-H-N-E, Sivna. But uh, I put a pronunciation guide for these guys because Irish. You're busting out um, some Irish shit, Mr. Stogden. Yeah. Barry Keown. Um, and he is, I think, most famously known for Dunkirk at this point, would you think? For Americans, I think so. Because um, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's, he's, he's going to be really big, really fast. Yeah. He's in tons of stuff. He was in like... Chernobyl and the killing of a sacred deer and American animals and he's just been tons of he's in the Eternals I think as well mm. um, coming out soon but he's he's an Irish he's, actor who's he's going terrific. to be very big yeah he's, he's also been cast in Why in. the Last Man for the record oh really he yeah. was I think he's dropped out now I think he has dropped oh, out really? by now but yeah yeah. still he'd be in a very appropriate thing so Everyone's he's playing out, a role of, of, of <laughs> Sivna this Irish guy uh, we also have um, in the role of uh, Tegan Hufflepuff Andrew Howard now, Andrew Howard is such an, uh, a simplistic name. It's like, oh, that could be 
any motherfucker, <laughs> but he's a theater actor. He's a Welsh dude. He's in tons of stuff. Most recently he played, oh, come on, it's called now, the, 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 in, in the Watchmen TV series. Oh. Oh, The Red Scare. That's what it was. And he plays a Russian dude. But he's actually, he's a theater actor. He's very good. And then finally, last casting thing, another big name, Duncan Ravenclaw. Ewan McGregor. Ooh, yes, please. Mm. Jude Law, Colin Farrell, and Ewan McGregor all in one film. Ooh. This is one for the mums. <laughs> so, yes, I know it's a lot of names go over there, but they're the key ones. Any new cast will we'll bounce into um, as we go along. Mm-hmm. So, if we're all nice and ready, let's start this first film. A Viking longboat runs aground in North America, and armored Vikings spill out of the ship. So immediately you know where this, this is This set. is cool already. Past. <laughs> Behind them, a cloaked figure speaks with the captain before trekking off into the deep forest. One of the Vikings asks why the stranger was given passage, but is told only that it's unwise to anger a wizard, especially one who has killed their own kind. Ooh. And then we get the title, Hogwarts, A History. Ooh. Because this is the Hogwarts trilogy, and there'll be other... Interesting. Titles later. Interesting. Four individuals are sat under the shade of a willow, out of breath and drained as they look up at the summer sky. They go over a list of building specifications to ensure that nothing has been missed or overlooked. Finally agreeing that it's ready, the youngest, Rowena, realises there is one thing which remains. The building is still nameless. Helga jumps up and says she has plenty of ideas, but is immediately shouted down by Godric, who uses his hat as a megaphone to announce, Hogwarts! adding it's a sort of unusual name that would amuse children and make them actually want to attend school. Salazar explains this is a disgusting idea, but appreciates it has a certain uniqueness and can't argue with the logic. The camera spins around the group to reveal they are sitting in front of the newly constructed castle, which they intend to use as a school for witches and wizards. A young man named Sivna arrives on British shores at the Wirral. Initially mistaken for a possible Viking scout, is attacked, but astounds the locals when he uses his wand to defend himself. He is quickly dubbed a witch, so steals a horse and escapes inland. Obviously at this point, a lot is going on in the film. It's a really, really brief synopsis for obvious fucking reasons. (laughs) These scenes are much longer and more intricate, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. As the school year is about to begin, several teachers have been selected and letters have been dispatched around the country, inviting magical children to attend the school for tuition. A few hundred children arrive, and Ravenclaw suggests recruiting more teachers to handle the growing workload. As the students begin their feast, Hufflepuff asks how the children will be sorted into the houses. Gryffindor explains they'll pick, but Slytherin asks what the plan is for when they're not around. So obviously we are doing a bit of a, a solo, basically. We're like, how did all these things get in here? It's like, <laughs> How did the dice get there, Matthew? Who knows? It's a big thing. Interrupting the meal, Gryffindor explains that the students will all be sorted accordingly, and the importance of these houses. Removing the pointed hat from his head, he casts an enchantment on it, bringing it to life. And he goes, Gryffindor! <laughs> he calls forth the first student, Helena, and places the hat on her head. The hat proudly announces, Ravenclaw! And the room erupts in cheers and applause. Ravenclaw scowls at Gryffindor and asks how insightful the enchantment is, but Gryffindor simply smiles, happy with himself. Do I want to do this as a bit of a fix for the idea of like, the hat sometimes puts you in all kinds of places. Like, is it that, or is it Godric is just kind of arrogant and stupid? <laughs> he's just Weasley, he's hey. just winging it. And like, the, there's been generations of wizards that uh, their fates have been defined by, and he's just like, no, oh, I'm fucking no. What kind of enchantment did you do? That's why he talks, doesn't he? Yeah, you know. Mm. 
Following the inductions, there is talk of expanding the school. Slytherin wants to include Southern Europeans, Byzantines and Arabs, wanting to meet with Al-Manzor, ruler of Cordoba and Al-Andalus. But Gryffindor is vehemently opposed, saying Hogwarts is an English school. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Mm. Ravenclaw corrects him and says the grounds are in Scotland, but Gryffindor doubles down and insists that, <laughs> other than a few select nations of his choosing, the school is for his people only. Ooh. A dark silence hangs in the room as the Celtic wing of the founders ask if Gryffindor considers them part of his people, and that the school was founded by all four of them. To which Gryffindor coldly responds, with my father's money. You're making Gryffindor the bad guy. Um, um, Don't you understand Harry Potter lore, Matthew? Slytherins are the bad ones. (laughs) That's how it works. It's clear good versus evil. I'm I'm changing things up. It's it's 2021. People (laughs) need to know your heroes aren't what you think. It's also a point out, 20 years since the first film at this point and 10 years since... The ended. The end. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a significance there as well. Nice. A young lord is out hunting with his entourage when an adder bites his horse. It's Rowan Atkinson. Gobble. <laughs> Throwing the man to the ground. Face to face with the snake, Gilwin slowly reaches for his sword, but a whispering from a nearby bush distracts the snake. This is Nagini. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, it's a Korean lady. It's I should Korean, point out. A Korean lady bites his horse. <laughs> as they want to do. As the snake retreats, a voice explains that the snake feared being trampled and was merely defending itself. Glewin demands the individual to show himself, and Sivna steps forth, wand in hand. He explains that he will leave the Lord's land and doesn't want any trouble. The confident Glewin simply smiles and reveals that he wasn't reaching for a sword, but a wand. Sivna slowly returns the smile. The next year, the school has expanded once more, and Rowena's husband, Duncan, is made the potions teacher. With these changes... Physical sports and education are brought up, but Hufflepuff seems intent on creating a tournament to bring everyone together, like hippogriff jousting, which the other, <laughs> the others dubbed too dangerous for a school, because all the other shit they do in Harry Potter is incredibly. <laughs> they have like, oh well, if you don't get the thing, yeah. you'll drown in the in the cup. Try wizard tournament, I, I want, and all this bullshit. Yeah, I want to include the idea that one of the teachers is like, should we just like let them do that? It's like, are you fucking mental? Should we just no. have a normal school? Like, no, they yeah. need life or death situations for some yeah. reason. Maths is bullshit. <laughs> Ravenclaw states that it's no more dangerous than the Muggle world, to which Gryffindor abruptly states he has decided to include Muggle-born students. Slytherin immediately balks at the idea and states that the only pure-blood students could be trusted, quoting his experience in Ireland. Are you tying in some real-world tragedies there, Matt, of the, uh, the Irish conflict <laughs> being mudbloods and, and purebloods? No. Okay, good. But I am having a bit of an English-Irish... Uh, 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 resentment and also the situations are a bit weird back then but no we're gonna have like an angry liam neeson representing northern ireland show up later and just <laughs> beat the shit out of colin Farrell. hey i haven't seen the casting <laughs> so maybe I don't liam know. neeson turns out to be <laughs> jesus he jumps over a magical barrier and there's 15 cuts while it happens <laughs> he hops yes. over what will be hagrid's fence in 160 years time i have a very specific set of spells (laughs) i will find you i will use a vada cadaver i will enchant you (laughs) slytherin escalates the disagreement by saying that muggles should not be admitted while foreign-born wizards are excluded 
Hufflepuff diffuses the tension by asking if her husband could have a job at the school. Slytherin snaps, as what? He's never been particularly adept at anything. Hufflepuff eventually suggests that he could tend the grounds, which would suit him just fine. The others agree, largely because they are preoccupied with their simmering feud. Sivna and Glowin feast, but his father, Glowin's father that is, is unhappy that an Irishman is in his castle. Now, obviously, I've written this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> is this that I can use the N-word because I'm black thing? I'm like, I can talk bad about the Irish because I'm Irish. <laughs> no, I'm just educating the English about what the history is like, um, <laughs> even in the wizarding world. <laughs> Glowin explains that he is a dear friend who saved his life, and to cast him out is to cast out his own son. Much to Glowin's surprise, his father follows through with that threat. Sivna tries to leave, but the prideful Glowin says that if his father cannot understand their bond, he will journey somewhere, he will be welcome. They're totally gay. They're definitely gay, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it going to be more than subtext and we're actually going to get some hot, steamy action? Tune into the sequel to find out. Tim opened the prequelizers with some horny Tim action, <laughs> and I'm going to close the sequelizers <laughs> with some gay wizard stuff. I expect nothing less. But speaking of horny, here comes this next <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Slytherin is caught by Gryffindor as he leaves the girls' bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Two points here. One, use whatever bathroom you want, whatever you identify with. Point number two, wizards don't magic away their own shit. <laughs> I thought they um, did. Um, no. Well, that's canon. That's canon. No, it's right? not canon in the films. It's totally canon in the films. Chuck it in yeah. a flu, you'll be fine. There, there's a reason it has to be the girls' bathroom in inverted commas. I had, I had that for, for plot reasons, because it's, it's got magical bullshit in it and like moaning Merlin. Magical and that bullshit. Whole thing and and it, yeah, yeah. Some, some things I do have to make work. Yeah. Gryffindor mocks him under the impression his ribbing is playful, but Slytherin is clearly hurt. Gryffindor initially tries to apologize for his brash manner. I feel like he did like, what the fuck are you doing in the girls' bathroom? It's like pretty normal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you think? Yeah. But Slytherin- well, I think it's gonna be literally like chasing his his cloaky sort of tunic shit and being like really offensive in the way that, you know, like you imagine like a Jude law being drunk as John Watson and just being a little <laughs> bit too far and saying some hurtful shit. And you're like, that's, that's actually quite offensive. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But Slytherin lashes out that if they didn't love each other, Slytherin would be just another foreigner to him. And that's the real reason why they can't be together. There are so many gay wizards in this man. <laughs> Suddenly furious, Gryffindor reaches for his wand. I, I bet he does. <laughs> and the two fight viciously in a girl's bar. <laughs> so sexy. Several students witness the fracas get out of hand before it is broken up by Tegan Hufflepuff, who is knocked out in the process. Slytherin thought Gryffindor would understand why he would want to create a place for other persecuted individuals like him to be taken in. Seeing that an audience of students are watching, Gryffindor banishes Slytherin from the grounds. Wow. Struck by this, Slytherin apparates away. Both Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff arrive, Helga tending to her husband and Rowena scolding Gryffindor for his stubbornness and temper. Gryffindor storms back to his office and breaks down crying as the enchanted tapestries on the wall look away in disgust. (laughs) Sivna and Glowin travel north, outlining a plan to create a safe haven for wizards openly practising magic. Sivna wonders if an English lord would be welcome in Scotland, and after a moment's thought, Glowin proudly renames himself Godric Gryffindor and dubs Sivna Salazar Slytherin, what? a name which the Irishman does not immediately care for. What? Flashback, what? motherfuckers! What the fuck? It's a flashback all along. Yep. 
So there's only a, those two gateways. You've done a Westworld. And it, I've done it's, a Westworld. it's two parallel timelines happening at the same time, and you don't know that until you know. Bloody hell. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't think I'd be particularly keen to be like, oh, by the way, you're Salazar Slytherin. Tough shit. <laughs> Again, it's the fact that I want Godric Gryffindor to be like every Gryffindor as they're described by other people. Mm. It's like, yeah, uh, Gryffindor says, I'm brave, true, honest. It's like, you're kind of a dick. You, ha- you, you have to think of others. You have been Gryffindor Welsh, though. Mm. So he's Welsh and Hufflepuff's Welsh as well. Mm. Interesting. Well, technically, yeah, he's, he's an English lord, so it's the whole we own the land kind of thing, but he identifies sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm guessing... Um, Taron Egerton's playing it with a very English accent. Oh, he's playing it like he does in Robin Hood. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Better than Russell Crowe in Robin Hood. That's fair. The very young and aristocratic Baron Sveidegger is brought in as Slytherin's replacement and suggests apparition is permanently banned at Hogwarts. Doing the origin story of the, the anti-apparating sure. thing, yeah, sure. <laughs> Hufflepuff doesn't like the new addition, saying one of the teachers should take Slytherin's place, but Gryffindor says Spidegar comes from good stock. Oof, oof, gross. And he will hear <laughs> no more on that matter. The film ends with the first run of students graduating and Slytherin sailing off towards mainland Europe. So obviously there's a lot going on in the first film that I'm not obviously coming coming. There's a whole school years of shit going on. But you know, just stuff. So thoughts, gentlemen, if any. Yeah, I mean when when we sort of had the first scene after the uh the title screen and mm. the school was already built built, um I was quite surprised. I was like, oh, are you Me too. Yeah. Not showing them the actual process of them like meeting and building the school. And then it was like, mm. oh no, yeah. I see what's happening. That's um, why we didn't read it ahead of time. We've got the, the parallel timelines thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um I really like what you're doing so far. I like I like the gay wizards. I do. <laughs> I, I know gay wizards are the thing people want, and I think it makes sense. Yeah. I do worry that you're it kind of feels like, well, we didn't get gay wizards in the actual thing and they are quote-unquote canon gay wizards even though they're not, but yeah. Mm. I guess, yeah, I don't know if it feels a bit like, well, these guys, sure, you can have more than two gay wizards, but like... You're saying it's worried about its tokenism? No, no, I'm saying it feels a bit too much like the Dumbledore Grindelwald dynamic. Oh, okay. That that already exists in the universe whether you like it or Mm. not. And True. closer than brothers and all that bollocks and whatever. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah. canon, but sure. But yeah, my worry is that then I guess you don't have yeah, see I'm I'm working with no, right. I'm working with the meta knowledge that Dumbledore is gay, but he's not in the films. So it's like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're right. It is still the whole It feels like you're basically just guy. doing good guy, bad guy, they're both gay thing again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that the because as maybe we're allowed to see. I wanted the schism to be a really personal one and I wanted it to be cutting. And if this was, for lack of a better word, if this was a straight story, you'd know yeah. that like it would be people in bat a fucking eyelid at it. So I like the idea that these two are close and they yeah. have the bond over the fact that the magic, I think developed over an entire film, it would hopefully feel quite natural and quite normal. Hopefully. I think my, my only worry would be, and again, obviously this is quite a short summary of what's going on and, and skipping sure, out sure. subplots and stuff. Uh, the the two female found founders feel a little bit underwritten um compared to 
Maybe you know, the, we'll the, see the two male ones movie? drive the plot kind of thing. Yes. We we do have a lot more of them in the sequels. Obviously, that isn't going to be a good thing when the film is being released. So that'll be the first. Well, I'm maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that's true. It's it's because it, 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 you have to take every film as its individual chapter, mm. as it were. And again, I'd like to think it'd be more developed and pronounced in the um, in the full fleshed out yeah, version, shall we sure. say, that isn't like a nine thousand word treatment. Um, but yeah, there's a reason we're focusing on just those two. For now, fair enough. Fair enough. I, ha- cool. I have a suggestion that I will save until the end of all three as well. Are you sure? Yep, definitely. Okay. Yep. Um. Right. So next film, twenty twenty two. Um. We also have a few other little additions here. First up, we have in this film a young Helga Hufflepuff turning up, and she'll be played by Amy Fion Edwards, who I think most people are going to know from Peaky Blinders. Definitely. And Luther, I think, and maybe Skins as well. I, I know her from Skins because I've not seen Peaky yeah. Blinders, but I'm, I'm aware of her in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think, I think she'd be very good again. You know, a, a, a Welsh actress, um, and trying to stick with someone who could p- potentially play a younger version of, of Ruth Jones. Um, and in the role of General Jalel, uh, we have Roshdi Zem, a French actor. Um, most notably he's in films like uh, Days of Glory and it's sort of strange sidequel mm-hmm. reinterpretation sequel thing outside the law really good uh, World War II sort of films uh, about North Africa and, and and the involvement of the French nation and like that. but he's a really good actor really good profile sort of his face and, and just very intense and I like him a lot I want him in this film I've got to say, both General Jalel and Roshdi Zem are both Star Wars as fuck names. <laughs> that is damn true. <laughs> Several years after the first instalment, Slytherin journeys through Algeria on his way to Tunisia. Entering a cave deep in the desert, he initially spars with and tames a young basilisk, ah. and then rides out of the cave and into the night. So that's a huge sequence I'm talking about here. Mm. Um, that sounds reduced to like, two sentences. real sexual. It's it's a dude in a cave in a desert taming a snake. So yes, I've realised how that sounds. Um, <laughs> he tames a big old snake and rides it into the night. <laughs> yeah, this has this has gone quite. Bit. Damn you, Tim! <laughs> I blame you. Um, yes. So and then you have the title screen: Hogwarts, a disunity, as in the opposite of unity. Yeah. It's the middle of winter and Ravenclaw's daughter, Helena, has started working as a trainee teacher in astronomy. Good choice, Helena. That's why I'm a fucking Ravenclaw. (laughs) Getting on well with the faculty and Zweidiger because of their similar ages. The academic year proceeds as normal, but Tegan is a little put out as he cannot be a teacher, having been rejected for an application for the third year running. Hufflepuff says it would be an example of nepotism and Gryffindor must have his reasons. Tegan counters by pointing out that Helena is only in her position because of her mother. This is overheard by Duncan, who states that his daughter is one of the school's best students and rightfully earned her place. En route to Scotland, Glewin and Sivna, under their new names Godric and Salazar, stop at the inn. (laughs) (laughs) They speak with Helga the barmaid, who asks if they would like to step into the back room. The young men agree out of curiosity and step through a shifting wall to reveal a sort of speakeasy for magical folk. Godric asks how Helga knew they were wizards, and Helga explains she has a gift for reading people, and she could tell right away. The two men converse about whether they should stay in the town, but agree to push on. Godric drunkenly thanks Helga, and lets slip about their plan, 
that they took his father's wealth and are going to build a school. Delighted at the prospect, Helga says she'll join them, despite not being asked. <laughs> After one of her classes, Helena bumps into Sveidiger, who has been waiting for her. The two discuss life at school after graduation and plans for the future, which turns into a race on brooms around the castle. Again, I'm being very, very brief about this things. This is a much a bigger scene, love of like we, yeah, know. Yeah, we know. Otherwise, we'd be here all day. Fucking yeah, we would. This ends in the observatory, but Helena is surprised when Spidega tries to kiss her. She politely turns the Baron down, explaining that she really does intend on becoming a professor and seeing the world, and doesn't feel that would leave much time for him due to his responsibilities to the school. Unhappy with his answer, Spidega makes an offhand remark about how much easier it is for a woman to travel the world as the wife or concubine of a noble. Particularly insulted by this, Helena explains her father took his wife's name because of the standing of her household, and that she does not need the arm of a man to explore the world. Gryffindor takes great pride in showing off the wizarding school to the newly enrolled muggle-born students who marvel and awe at the wondrous nature of magic. It's nice. I imagine a very big sweeping shot of this grand oh, castle yeah, it's proper, and like magical fireworks yeah. and bullshit. And yeah. mm-hmm. One precocious young student asks about the four houses and how each of them is led by a wizard of the same name, except for one. Gryffindor frowns before quickly changing the subject with the reveal of the enchanted ceiling of the Great Hall. Get that nice, floating, all magical, yeah. Yeah, cool. It sets the tone for all the other films, like, oh, that's why they have this whole fucking parade, it's because Gryffindor basically likes to show off and then it becomes a tradition. (laughs) Fearing the last steps into Western Tunisia will pose too much of a risk for his companion, Slytherin sends the basilisk away, but before it leaves, it gives him an egg. Stepping into a market on the outskirts of Carthage, Slytherin receives a cold welcome, but he's more than used to it. Using a spell, he begins to speak the local dialect fluently, which puts everyone at ease. Slytherin attempts to carefully inquire about magical folk, but is set upon by guards who try to seize his satchel with the egg inside. Outnumbered, Slytherin is saved at the last minute by whirling plumes of smoke. Whisked off into an alleyway, Slytherin is greeted by local wizards, who ask why he has come to their land. Salazar explains he has come to make an alliance. Spidegar enters Gryffindor's office, explaining he has learned that Helena has lied to the school, and he is unsure how to proceed against the daughter of one of the founders. Gryffindor doesn't follow and states that the rules apply to all, and demands to know what she has done. Spidegar reveals that Helena's entire education is the result of an enchanted item which grants the wearer increased intelligence. Gryffindor laughs at this and says he knows the very item, a diadem that belongs to Rowena. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. The magical founder's items, yeah. Yep. Yep. The Baron corrects him and states that Helena confided in him that she stole it when she was a child. All the founders are just monsters. This is what this this is Hamilton, Harry Potter, isn't it? Where (laughs) (laughs) finding out. Sorry, you love the John Adams show that you you mentioned a couple of times. This is Harry Potter, but John Adams. (laughs) Yeah, it's not what you think. (laughs) History is different. Everyone is flawed. Exactly. You mean they're not pinnacles of bravery and intelligence and cunning? Oh my god, they're, they're multi-dimensional characters, god forbid. They're human beings. What, they're people? <laughs> Gryffindor flies into a rage that this wasn't brought to him sooner, and that the sanctity of the entire system has been compromised and undermined by one of their very first students. Storming through the school, Gryffindor appears in an ongoing astronomy class. The teacher pleasantly says, Headmaster? but the founder marches straight over to Helena and pulls her aside, the door slamming behind him. The class stare uncomfortably before their lesson resumes. Outside, Gryffindor interrogates Helena before leaving her of her position, 
telling her to take up residence in Hogsmeade as she can no longer stay on school grounds. Just basically pushing the idea that he has these massive fits of just English impulsiveness. Rage. English rage, impulsiveness, and then says, and you know what, you can fuck off! And it's like, don't keep telling everyone to fuck off. <laughs> Upon arrival in Scotland, Helga asked all manner of details about the daily running of the school, from class subjects to teachers and boarding accommodation, etc. The two young men admit they hadn't given it a great deal of thought. They simply felt compelled to create a haven. Helga congratulates them on being ideas men, but they clearly need a woman at the helm. <laughs> she asks what they would say to bringing a fourth on board, someone local with divination powers. The two can't see any reason why not, and Helga sets out to find such a person. A heated argument is raging in Gryffindor's office between the headmaster and Rowena Ravenclaw. Gryffindor scolds Ravenclaw for not only losing the diadem, but for not realising her daughter was using it the entire time to advance through school. Ravenclaw says this is a minor infraction, and Gryffindor overreacted as always, just like he did with Sivna. Hearing that specific name, it summons a fury within the headmaster, and he waves his wand, launching Ravenclaw from the classroom. I like it, mate. I like the little touch there. Mm. Nice. Meanwhile, on the other side of the school, Duncan is devastated by the news of his daughter's actions and attempts to obliviate the memory. That's, that's dark. That's, yep. Yeah. Obliviate's a real terrifying spell, if you really think about <laughs> it. It's, it's real. And that's real why dark. I've made it really, yeah. as, you, as we shall see. That makes sense. The spell unfortunately goes wrong. Here we go. And in the process, his memory is wiped entirely, reducing him to a catatonic state. Distraught and on edge, Ravenclaw explains to Gryffindor that his brash impulsiveness with little thought for others will eventually be his undoing. After his encounter at the bazaar, Slytherin meets with the general of a powerful wizarding army. I presume this is General Jalil. That's, uh, that's Jalil, yeah, correct. Yeah. Slytherin passionately explains he has come from an island far to the north and seeks only knowledge, understanding and a kinship with wizarding kind to the world over. General Jaleel says the city is home to a great many scholars, but he has little knowledge of the wizards to the cold northwest. Slytherin explains he built a school and safe haven for all wizarding kind, but it was taken from him, and he is seeking the forces to reclaim it. Jaleel asks what he would get in return. Slytherin closes his eyes and whispers, summoning a plethora of serpents. Then turning to Jaleel, he offers to teach him Parseltongue. Now I wanted to point out here, because again, I don't want... I don't want... Salazar to be the hero, I want him to be just as much of an asshole and mm. a fuck up and a human. And so whole, they took the school from me. It's like, nobody took the school from you. Where did you get that? Mm. You were kicked out. Can we, can we uh, rename it Hogwarts A Plethora of Serpents, please? <laughs> <laughs> Snakes in every fucking bus. Harry Potter and the Plethora, plethora of, of serpents. serpents. You're a plethora, Harry. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're a serpent. Rocked by what's happened to her father, Yet still forced out of her home, Helena is in tears as she walks through the deep snow towards Hogsmeade. 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 Through the falling snow, Helena is able to make out a figure ahead of her. Reaching for her wand, she calls out, only to fall into Spidegar's arms once she recognises him. Helena confesses she never would have taken the diadem, but wanted to live up to her mother's grand accomplishments. Spidegar comforts her, saying that what's done is done, and he will always look out for her, before taking her bags and helping her towards a small village, because he's a wanker. Mm. <laughs> It's like, I didn't orchestrate this. Shh, there, there. Gryffindor approaches Hufflepuff and regrets the divisions that have come between the four friends. He then adds that he received a letter from Tegan asking for consideration in a teaching position. Gryffindor explains this is the first he's heard of it 
and he sees no reason why the groundskeeper can't teach something like herbology. But Hufflepuff says she will handle it and to ignore the letter. Credits. Mm-hmm. End of the So this is unfortunately a bridge episode, as it were. It's a, it's, it's, it's a part it's two. It's an act it's two. It makes sense. Yeah. It's going to be uh, problems and stuff, but um, it's also much darker than the first one. Yeah. I was going to mm. say, this is, this is an Empire Strikes Back and I hate that every second film in a trilogy gets compared to Empire, <laughs> but it True. kind of is. Nobody's in a good place. Helena's getting cast out. Gryffindor's a cunt. Salazar's oh, got an army of snakes coming to raid Hogwarts. <laughs> it's all going horribly wrong. It feels like Empire. And that's not a bad thing. No, It's no. a cliched thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. True. What I really, really like is the diversity of seeing Middle Eastern wizards. I think that's really fucking cool. That's really cool world building. See, mm. imagine I'm imagining all this amazing, cool twists on like Middle Eastern architecture that are all oh, magical and crazy yeah, and yeah, cool. Yeah. Mm. And that sounds so interesting. And I wish we kind of got that a bit more because it's like, where are we going to go? We're getting out of Hogwarts. We're going somewhere cool. Where are we going? America. Oh, great. Wait, what? <laughs> There's just a bunch of white people in America. Yes. Oh, fuck, okay. Is it New York? Oh, it's really diverse. No, it's not. Oh, okay, mm. great. Thanks, thanks, everybody. That's brilliant. But yeah, this is really interesting. Not just for diversity's mm. sake, but like the fact that this is a world-building thing of like we get Precisely. to see. Because they talk about, again, not in, the, not in the fucking films or the books or anything, but there are other schools and stuff. There are like yeah. officially... There's the there's the American one nobody can remember the name of, and they're all their houses. And there's mm. uh, there's the Eastern European one where the big like Russian dude who plays Quidditch comes from. Durmstrang and yeah. the other one, uh, the, the French one. Yeah. So it's basically just mm. France and Eastern Europe is all we ever see. It's like more Northern Europe. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. cool. But what does everything else look like? Yeah, it's cool. And also, I was like, well, I can't go too crazy with it because a lot of these countries haven't really sort of discovered each other yet. So just the Crusades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like that's a bit tricky yeah so i thought i'd go with this so, yeah i like you're kind of doing like an assassin's creedy type thing here as well you're like <laughs> journeying through the the centuries kind of thing which is cool um yeah i mean i i, I think that you could maybe restructure a little bit so that you have because it kind of ends it just kind of fades out a little bit yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I wanted another scene i forgot the, the, the reason yeah. i said credits then there was like and that's the ending. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of <laughs> it kind is a of bit a, abrupt. Yeah. yeah. Again, is that another comparison to Empire, where it's just kind of like, and <laughs> I guess it's over now. Like, yeah, yeah. I think mm. I think you could move things around a little bit so you have the clash between. Um, so you obviously have uh, Gryffindor kind of shooting Ravenclaw out of his office. Mm you could make that a bit more of a big wizard fight and kind of push it yeah. a little bit uh, towards the... She, she blocks it at the last second and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I don't want to be too much like the first one with Salazar and Gryffindor fighting too mm. much, so I wanted to... But I know what you mean. It would be, again, a bigger thing, certainly. Yeah. I, I wonder if you end with Salazar and his army of serpents. Like, yes, you, you end yeah. With, like, you have a couple of... It flicks, obviously, it's still flicking back and forth, mm. but the the last thing is like... Uh, and what can you offer me? And he just goes, <laughs> and just like wall of serpents hit the camera, fade mm. black, to be continued or whatever. Like you know, or you so, or you maybe even have I don't know where. Obviously, the Slytherin is going to head, but you maybe have mm. him like 
taking out a rival faction of wizards within that Ooh. city, like helping Ooh, General Jaleel. Kind of yeah. yeah, I like that. Bend the that's knee good. kind of shit. That's quite cool. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's, that's yeah. good. The, the whole, like, what do I get out of this? I'll teach you parcel tongue. Cool. But in the meantime, I want a down payment. Come with me. Go to the port, as it were, and just yeah. off a load of dudes. Yeah. I like that. That's good. We, yeah, that's, that's how we end the film now. I think, I think showing, <laughs> either way, however you do that, I think showing... Salazar is a, th- a big, a, a big a threat. threat. Yeah, and having it again, and end on a dark note of like, yeah, this is some serious shit. He is coming for his reclaim the throne in his mind kind yes. of thing. Yeah, I think that's a cool way to end it. And like, oh, stuff's about to kick off. This is clearly escalating for the big finale yes. kind of thing. So yeah, I think that works. Good, that works for me, guys. I think the only other potential issue I have is if go ahead. Um, if Millie Bobby Brown's maybe a little bit too young for Helena at this point. Yeah, so she that's the thing, because you have to get she has to somehow both be somebody who is in the middle of school, about 14, 15 years oh. old at one point, and she has to be someone who's graduating from school. She'll be 18 or 19 at the at the at the release, but if you film that, yeah, she'll be 13 or yeah. 14. So yeah. And the key point here is when school ends in Yes, hundreds, that is a good question. Point. so my point is that when she's like oh i'm a teaching assistant now it's like how old is she she's like 15 16 years old and that's what also makes the whole baron who at this point would be maybe 18 19 it's like where the fuck is he a teacher mm. it's like because he's a he's a he's a man yeah <laughs> who's a lord why he's a baron why wouldn't i have him in charge and it's like because that's the mindset of the time and not what i'm actively trying to do with this film but part of the setting and the time period is rather than having like 30 year old men playing teenagers mm. i'm like no, I mean, teenagers playing with that. In the same way that Dunkirk actually did a quite a good job with this. Cast kids to play the kids. Because you always <laughs> see like in Fury, you know, the tank commander yeah. is Brad Pitt. And he's 50 years old. And you're like, that war was fought by teenagers and 20 mm. year olds. What mm. the I mean, there were still obviously people of all ages, but the conscription age stopped at like 36 or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so I, I think it would, you're right. It would probably be a bit jarring for the audience, but I think for the setting, it would probably hopefully work. Yeah, no, that, that, quite well. that makes more sense. 2023, the finale. Young Rowena is the only new real cast member here. Kaya Jones. Mm. Now, this is a good example of me saying, eh, fuck it. <laughs> because Kaya Jones is just a, um, she's a Scottish Australian actor who's worked on like Neighbours. Yeah. Um, Neighbours is the only reference I had for her. I haven't watched Neighbours. I just happened to know that. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the whole point here was like, and we're going for this person. So, oh, why? 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 And this one's like, because it doesn't matter. And it sounds awful to say that, but as we've done this, like with I think with Tim's X Men pitch, it's like you go with somebody who isn't going to be a huge star. It's not like the future so and so. You're building future stars, kid. Yeah, it's just go with somebody you will like to see. Oh, well, she's 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 24 now. Now, yeah. I want to say, so she'd be in her early 20s at the time of shooting. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and she's again Scottish with like long dark, well, short dark hair at the time, but yeah, mm-hmm. dark hair, and she 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 looks like she could play a young Laura Fraser. I think it like, works quite well. Yep. And she'd be younger than the other ones, like Taron Egerton and um, uh, and the other people. It, it, would, it, would, it would work quite well there, basically. Cool. So, yeah, that's my, that's my theory, basically. Again, I'm glossing over the fact that there are so many supporting people. This is just the main cast mm-hmm. to make keep it a little bit manageable. Yep. So, film number three. Young Salazar is marching through a small, snowy village toward a tavern. Shaking off his cloak, he stomps upstairs and begins ranting about being no closer to getting his project off the ground as he warms himself by the fire. Mid-flow, he realises that Godric is uncharacteristically silent, staring out the window, holding a note. 
asking what is wrong, to which Godric, going through a range of emotions, explains, his father is dead. And then we get the title screen, Hogwarts, a tragedy. So it's, the, the trilogy is Hogwarts a history, Hogwarts a disunity, Hogwarts a tragedy. Sad music. Sad music. The minor version of the theme plays <laughs> over the title. I wanted to see the, the, the first film's gonna be very, very green and lush and like, oh look, Britain. The second film's gonna be a really stark difference between it's the Middle Eastern bit and the yeah, the sand and the snow, cool. basically. It's gonna be a really big compromise between these really rich, hot, warm colour palettes and these really pallid, like you know, snow white sort of Scottish thing, something. This one's gonna be a bit of a miserable one. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of rain. Lots right. of fucking rain. Cool. Fighting in the rain is cool. <laughs> it so, is cool. It's the thing we've learned from like old Saramai films and stuff and <laughs> Ip Man and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So and the Matrix Revolution. And especially the Matrix Revolution. <laughs> the film opens with end of year celebrations. The graduating wizards enjoy a vast spectacle put on by their fellow students with members of their families in attendance. The festivities are undercut somewhat when an owl flies through the crowd, delivering a message straight to Gryffindor. The headmaster is stunned by its contents, but demands everyone continues and storms off. On brand for Godric Gryffindor at this point. <laughs> Shut up, I'm leaving. Shut up, you're leaving. <laughs> In Hogsmeade, Spidegar and Helena watch the distant celebrations from a rooftop. Helena is mournful that she cannot return. In an attempt to comfort her, the Baron proposes. Fucking hell. Get stuck in. Big swing. Fucking hell, yeah. Helena initially laughs it off, but seeing he is serious, she turns him down, stating he knows how she feels. Helena is intent on using this dismissal as the perfect opportunity to learn by travelling the world, rather than shut up in some stone building forever. <laughs> Svidegger aggressively demands to know why Helena continues to waste her time with these fantasies, and the two fight before Svidegger pulls his wand on Helena. Disgusted by this, Helena runs away, leaving Svidegger calling after her, apologising, saying it was a mistake and that he would never hurt her. Ravenclaw meets Gryffindor in his office and asks what that was all about. He tosses the note towards his fellow founder, who learns that it is a warning from Slytherin, Ooh. outlining his intentions to return to Hogwarts with an envoy from the East. I'm bringing my feckin' snakes! You've <laughs> 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 fucking Bruges! Um, <laughs> I've been in fucking Bruges for too long. <laughs> he hopes to enter talks about opening the school to international wizards, but like when it talks with a fucking army. Mm. Gryffindor explains that outside nations can't be trusted, but muggles can, and that Slytherin's actions are tantamount to war. He goes on to explain it's already too late, and Slytherin has shown his true colours. Green. He adds, Green and silver. That's his true colour. <laughs> yeah. Green and silver. Yeah. <laughs> he adds that this was inevitable, as he goaded Slytherin in a previous message by saying his former house is full of muggle-born students and a face from outside these aisles will never attend this school. Wow. Ravenclaw says both men harbour ridiculous prejudices, but Gryffindor clearly isn't listening, already preparing for the battle to come. You wonder why I'm a Ravenclaw. Like, come on. <laughs> both men hold ridiculous prejudices like, fuck yeah, Ravenclaw. Absolutely. <laughs> a vast fleet of ships sails up the North Sea towards Hogwarts. At the front is a mighty vessel commanded by General Jalel, with Salazar Slytherin at his side. Jalel looks back at his men before explaining that their presence is a show of force. He doesn't want to be dragged into a massacre of children. Slytherin counters that anyone who raises a wand against him will be put down. Jalel then quietly adds his concern that this is a more personal vendetta than an act of nobility. Slytherin shows Jalel a fistful of messages from Gryffindor, talking about his muggle students with swelling pride. 
Slytherin says this is no longer a school, but a training camp for an army of hatred and division. Jalel simply raises an eyebrow, returns his gaze to the horizon, and quietly adds, I've said my piece. Ravenclaw holds a meeting with the faculty, causing Hufflepuff to jump into immediate action, talking about getting the children and families out of Hogwarts. Gryffindor, who has been silent up until this point, says that they should all stand and fight. The rest of the staff are shocked by this suggestion, but Gryffindor states that a ruling lord does not fight alone. He commands a vast army of loyal subjects. Ravenclaw slams her hands down on the table and corrects Gryffindor, highlighting these are students and not subjects. Gryffindor, maintaining his temper for once, responds that it doesn't matter, they would never get away in time. Preparations are made, but Ravenclaw learns from Svidegger that Helena has gone missing. She charges the Baron to find her daughter and keep her safe. At the same time, Hufflepuff explains to her husband that he must hide at all costs and not interfere. Is this a comment on the uh, child army of the Deathly Hallows, where the Battle of Hogwarts is just a bunch <laughs> of fucking kids? I mean, it's kind of commentary on a lot of things. I mean, sure, yeah. yeah. No, it's a, yeah. Child armies and child soldiers in general, but yeah. It is weird that they're always like, we must fight and protect the school. It's like, why are they kids? Aren't you all powerful wizards? The dozen teachers or so? Aren't you like yeah. 12 of the most powerful people in the world? I'm, I'm not going to If any of my schools ever said throughout the history of going to school, you have to defend the school you life, like, fuck off and fuck <laughs> that. I'm out. <laughs> I hate the school and fuck this place. It wasn't a magical okay. school though, Matthew, that's why. That's true. It was a Catholic school. <laughs> In a way, that's a kind of magic. <laughs> it's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic. <laughs> okay. Walking barefoot through a mountainous part of Scotland, a young Rowena stands before a lake. Looking around her, she sees the land through a time lapse, revealing the construction of Hogwarts. The time lapse continues at great speed as the school stands firm as the landscape changes. Looking down at her feet, she sees a single flower rise and bloom before wilting and dying. Awaking from her trance, Rowena opens her eyes and sees the young Godric, Salazar, and Helga staring at her. She smiles back and says, I found the perfect spot. Mm. Jalal's armada arrives at Hogwarts shores, and Slytherin tries to apparate onto the ground, but discovers he cannot. Instead, he takes a long boat ashore and meets with Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. Helga hugs her old friend while Ravenclaw asks why he would come back like this. Slytherin ignores the question and notes the absence of Gryffindor. Ravenclaw refuses to back down and asks again why the wizard has returned with an army. Slytherin begins a grand speech but is interrupted by Hufflepuff, saying that this was never about the school, it's a lover's quarrel that's gotten out of hand. Ravenclaw is particularly put out that Slytherin felt he couldn't come to her, explaining that she has always supported him. In a moment of clarity, Slytherin begins to feel a modicum of regret. Aboard the Vanguard ship, one of Jalel's men asks what they are talking about. The general states that hopefully it is a peaceful resolve to this whole internal affair. The calm is broken when one of the heavily fortified ships to the rear of the fleet cracks and is pulled under the surface. Underwater, we see the wizards defending themselves as mermaids swim from the depths and claw at the sailors. Seeing this, Slytherin turns to his fellow founders, who appear equally shocked, saying, he will burn for this treachery. Summoning his broom, Slytherin races off towards the school, Hufflepuff giving chase. Gryffindor reveals himself armed with his sword, leading a group of knights riding hippogriffs, dive-bombing the ships. Metal as fuck. <laughs> it starts to rain heavily. Here we go. <laughs> as the battle divides into two factions, as Jalel's forces disembark and advance towards the school, while the rear of the fleet deal with the aerial assault. 
a lot of wizardly shit happens, and it's cool, well-directed, and easy to follow. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear. Yep, just want to make sure that's that's clearing across. Nice. Hearing the assault raging outside, Tegan refuses to simply hide while children fight and die. He takes a spare wand and attempts to cast a spell on the locked door. He is dumbfounded that nothing seems to happen, but assumes Helga must have cast a powerful enchantment, and using a chair, breaks down the door. Helena, starting her ascent up the rain-soaked mountain, hears something like thunder in the distance, and rushes to get a better view. Witnessing Hogwarts under siege, she readies her wand and hurries towards the scene of the epic showdown. Young Rowena finds Salazar sitting by himself, sketching an outline for the potential school grounds. The two discuss ideas before sitting back and relaxing. Rowena makes a move, but Salazar pulls away. She instantly apologises, but he explains that's not necessary. Salazar tells her about his youth, that he was chained up and treated as an animal for his magical leanings and his difficulty trusting others. He explains that this is why he will always love Godric, a revelation that surprises Rowena. Because in spite of his brash manner and ego, he's surprisingly patient with Salazar and protects him. The two sit in silence for a while before Salazar asks if Rowena understands. She quietly confirms that she does, but doesn't agree about Godric. In the midst of the chaos of battle, Tegan Hufflepuff attempts to help some of the older students, but finds himself powerless. Rushing to put himself between them and a concussive blast, he is launched from the pulpit and falls to his death. Mm. En route to Hogwarts, Zweidiger swoops down on his broom and picks up Helena, taking her back towards the mountain. The two young wizards fight as Helena learns what is happening. During the argument, Zweidiger lets slip that Helena never chooses the right path, and he should make her decisions for her, revealing that he was the one who told Gryffindor about the diadem. Again, Zweidiger. (laughs) Disgusted by this, Helena confounds his broom and rushes towards the fray The assault continues, more cool wizard shit Um, (laughs) I mean, again, a lot goes on, I don't want to be bothering it Slytherin finds the body of Tegan and in a moment of stillness seems unsettled by the man's death Helga finds Slytherin stood over her deceased husband but before he can say anything, bolts of energy hurtle past his head Slytherin is finally struck by a crucio spell and writhes in agony Cause she pissed. Obviously. Tears streaming from Helga's face, she screams at Slytherin, admitting she doesn't know how he found out that her husband was a muggle, but she will kill him for what he's done. So yeah, the reason he's been like held back from doing all this stuff is because he has absolutely no magical powers whatsoever. The building shakes as Gryffindor's hippogriff slams into a lofty tower, sending brickwork plummeting to the ground, breaking Helga's concentration and allowing Salazar to escape. Helena finally arrives at the school grounds, only to have her path blocked by Svidegger, who threatens her, before accidentally burying his dagger in her chest. Shocked, Svidegger cradles the dying witch, apologising through tears, but to no avail. Racked with guilt, Svidegger stumbles towards the battle, the bloody dagger raised, only to lower his defences and allow himself to be struck and killed. You said this one was dark, man. <laughs> That's pretty fucking dark. I mean, it's no darker than, like, Deathly Hallows. Yeah. It probably is, actually. Yeah, yeah. There, there, by the way, there are reasons I'll come back to as to why I had to do that. Sure. But, yeah. I, 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 it just clicked why that happened. Tim gets it. I have mm. no idea. We'll, we'll get to that <laughs> later, I suppose. Hogwarts Harry Potter shit! Racing through the corridors, Slytherin bursts into the girls' bathroom. Of course he does, the fucking pervert. Back there again, Salazar. God damn it. Sivna. And unlocks the chamber. <gasps> Descending inside, he rests a bag down before heading back upstairs. Ravenclaw discovers the body of her daughter and flies into an inconsolable rage, 
wiping out attacking forces left, right, and centre. I am such a Ravenclaw. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> Logical, then filled with rage. <laughs> Gryffindor sees his fellow founder approaching and signals for aid, but his eyes white over as Godric falls under the spell of the Imperious Curse. Under Ravenclaw's control, the headmaster stumbles forward and kneels. She explains this is the only logical end to his arrogance, blaming him for her daughter's fate. Releasing the curse, Gryffindor briefly attempts to assuage Ravenclaw, before she speaks the words, Avada Kedavra. <laughs> the battle dies down momentarily as General Jalel and the students witness this act. Nice. Ravenclaw stands motionless, staring off plainly as both Slytherin and Hufflepuff arrive. Seeing Godric dead, an eerie standoff ensues as the school burns around them. Hufflepuff explains that everyone has suffered, but this must end. Ravenclaw, seemingly lost, says this is how it was always going to end, that all flowers wilt and die after their moment in the sun. Slytherin tries to speak, but Rowena attacks him. Rowena then turns her attention to Helga, disarming her before she... Which means that she has the power of her wand! <laughs> oh god. Um, disarming her before she can finish the killing curse. Slytherin casts it first, striking her dead. Helga quietly states that she didn't have to die. Slytherin looks around him as the battle continues overhead and to the harbour, stating many need not have died today. With so much death, Slytherin says he will draw the army away and go into exile. Hufflepuff says the true history of what happened here must be kept a secret, but if Salazar ever returns, she will not hesitate to kill him. Slytherin says he understands, but that one day one of his bloodline will return uh, to bring order to the school. Uh, Tired of threats and fighting, Helga lets the remark slide. Prophecies! Mm. The fighting ceases with the announcement that all of the founders bar Helga Hufflepuff are supposedly dead. Who thought Hufflepuff would be the last woman standing out of those four? <laughs> Fucking hell. Hard work will get you there. There you go. Yep. See, being a lazy badger will get you alive. <laughs> With no remaining vested interest and tired of the bloodshed, Jalel sounds a retreat, explaining to his forces that the West is a dark and intolerant world. <laughs> Commentary, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully one day there will be peace between their peoples. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In no. short, no. The West and the East are at war. I don't know. Still now. Young Rowena, Helga, Salazar and Godric are feasting in a Hogsmeade tavern, all of them enthusiastically discussing ideas for how the school should operate. Oh, all the, the innocence of youth before they all murder each other. <laughs> With Rowena and Helga getting another round of butterbeers, Salazar quietly explains to Godric that he's sorry about his father's passing and remains grateful for everything Godric has done for him. Godric says he should be thanking Salazar as their friendship has been the best thing that ever happened to him. And with that, than brothers. <laughs> and with that, produces a locket marked with an S. I should point out the S does not stand for Salazar or Salon. It's for Sivna. Uh, Salazar gratefully accepts the gift as Helga breaks the moment with a round of drinks and a giant plate of assorted meats and bread. Mm, meats Love and a plate bread. of assorted meats and bread. <laughs> there probably might be some cheese in there as well. Now we're talking. Now you're talking my language, Doctor. You lost me with the meats, you got me back with the cheese. It's, it's all old British cheese, so it might be pretty bad. Yeah. We cross dissolve to Helga Hufflepuff, now headmistress, giving a speech, her tone in stark contrast to the uproarious celebrations at the start of the film. In charge of the school, Hufflepuff sets out her version of the events which portray all sides as heroes, <laughs> whose actions could have been avoided and communication had been paramount. This is the winners writing history as well, isn't it? <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> Thinking back on her husband, Hufflepuff is hit by a wave of hypocrisy, but buries it. 
Hogwarts, a wave of hypocrisy. It's like when the thing she's given a speech and there's like sort of flash of this guy and then like husband her happy memories. He goes, she goes, oh, fuck. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what's occurred in? Um, and everyone laughs. As Helga speaks, we see a repeat of the opening of the first installment with Slytherin buying his way on a Viking ship and arriving in North America. She then sets out a few tenets and explains that the three curses used today are unforgivable and should never be practiced by wizard kind. Finally, she explains... She then says them all and explains <laughs> what they are by killing One you need, never need to do is a vada Finally, she explains before the day's events she was in contact with wizards and witches from Eastern Europe about the formation of other schools and outlines her plan for what will become the Tri-Wizard Tournament. Yes. As an act of friendship between nations where they make their teenagers fight to the death for some reason. <laughs> yep. To ensure something like this never happens again. In the Chamber of Secrets, the basilisk egg begins to hatch. There we go. That's my very long and intense Hogwarts. That is long and intense prequel. and gay. As and hell. miserable. Miserable and gay, just how I like them. Uh, I'm ready for tweaks, changes, all kinds of things. I like what you guys did about the second part. I fully support that. Let's do that with the with the the extra mission with the, the action scene. So, what was the thing you picked up on, Tim? Harry Potter lore shit. That I kind of, know. yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, yes, I yes. could remember that Ravenclaw's daughter is the Grey Lady. She is the ghost of Ravenclaw Tower or whatever. Uh, She's one of the four ghosts, played by Kelly McDonald. In the yes, in the last film, mm-hmm. I had forgotten that. Uh, she is killed by the Bloody Baron, who is the, I guess, the Slithering Ghost? He's the Slithering Ghost, yeah, yeah I believe so. Uh, which is obviously Zweidegger. Zweidegger, right, right. There's origin of some ghosts as well, fucking hell. Mm-hmm. It's shit that also is not canon with what has been said before. <laughs> that I think it's... Fuck it, was it? She, she goes off somewhere and Ravenclaw sends the Baron to bring her back and she says no and he kills her and then he's like, oh no, what have I done? And then kills himself. So I have the core elements of what it is. Yeah. I just thought, that's not going to work with my story. Fuck that shit. Fair enough. Boring. Also, obviously, the events themselves, none of this shit is even remotely canon because as far as I remember, they all like are very good people. They're all best and, friends and they all hang out together and nothing yeah. goes wrong. And that, But it does, I, all the questions I have about the world building that's almost like, it's an innocent book for children. Like, why is there a, like, a fucking evil group of the kids? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good why question. Is this? Like, why is this? Like, why would you accept the inherently evil and dastardly group of kids? It's like, yeah. we have the hardworking ones, the brave ones, the clever ones and the evil ones. <laughs> like, yeah, right. How about was... how about you just don't have a house that is specifically built for evil children, <laughs> like some kind of Hitler Youth bullshit? <laughs> I think there's like a, a cracked sketch or something, and it's Michael Swaim is playing like um, I think it's him playing, playing um, Slytherin, and they're all like, okay, um, well, first thing we're gonna do is put anyone in this thing uh, in this house straight in the dungeon because obviously they're gonna <laughs> cause us problems. <laughs> And it's like, so yeah, I wanted to kind of deal with it. They're like, no, they're not good people or bad people. In the same way that all the people in Gryffindor aren't good mm, yeah. or bad. I mean, this is very much the problem that as Harry Potter as a setting has kind of evolved beyond Harry Potter as a story, is yes. that 
you know, when you, when you have stuff like Pottermore and roughly 25% of the people who join it are going to be Slytherin. And yet there's been like one good Slytherin person in the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Um, and that Just wasn't Snape, right? and that wasn't until book six. Oh, I guess and Snape. <laughs> I don't think of Snape as good. Um, no, that's a good answer. He's not. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That's Slughorn. Uh, who's, oh, Slughorn. Nice. Uh, self-serving, but ultimately good. Yeah, because it it very much starts off with like, and then there there's the evil house, and it's like, yeah, but you know, that's eleven year olds you're calling evil. <laughs> it's it's very much streamlining. It's like you're going to be evil now. It's like why? Because I just said you are. Mm. Now get in with the bullies. So like, well, I guess I better. Don't, <laughs> I don't want to get bullied myself, so I might as well be the yeah. bullies. And also, it's very uh, um, fuck British. <laughs> yeah um it's very uh self-fulfilling prophecy where it's oh, like yeah, yeah if we yeah. take all the ambitious like um perhaps uh slightly um people who look only look out for themselves or generally kind of more look out for themselves uh and their and their closest friends you know form ex- extremely tight bonds and kind of fuck everyone else and then we'll yeah. jam them all together in one house that won't end badly <laughs> So they can all work together and come up with their evil plans as a group. <laughs> and also the fact that they are, I guess, a recruiting quota. It's like, um, okay, so we kind of have a bit of an empty spot in Hufflepuff there. It's like, <laughs> this kid is definitely a Ravenclaw. Yeah, yeah does, but I does, need five more Hufflepuffs. Does the hat know that? Does the hat be like, well, we've got to balance it out. You've got to have roughly equal representation. Or is there some years where it's like 70% Gryffindor because a lot of brave kids this year. The first thing the hat fucking says to, to Harry is like, you'd be good in Slytherin or Griffith. I was like, wow, that is a big difference, uh, hat. And then, of course, I wanted to sort of get across the, in almost like a way like, yeah, it's not infallible. It's it, it, In a way, this is a bit of a treaty on everything we hold as traditional in every country around the world. Because it's from the past doesn't mean it's correct. Mm. And like the founding fathers wanted this. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. You don't know that. I, yeah. We, 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 you, how you deify individuals in the past, like, oh, Godric Gryffindor's sword. He was a noble, wonderful wizard. Yeah. Like, he was a man who was also the son of a lord. He would have been an arrogant piece of shit. Yeah. But maybe nice to a handful of people who he sees as his best friends. And how he would literally burn the whole world just to prove a single point sounds as Harry Potter Gryffindor as fuck, <laughs> as far as I can understand it. But I wanted to do it, not necessarily a service, but I wanted to give an actual understanding of why the houses are the way they are mm. and how none of them really, in, in an almost combination of the Godfather part two, where you bounce back and forth between <laughs> yes, these people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also what I wanted to make sure you'd see that, that, um, that, that they're all flawed. They're all human beings. They're all people. Precisely. Yeah, they're, yeah, all, yeah. they're all human beings. They're all, as powers. I said earlier, like multi-dimensional characters who are not defined yeah. by a single characteristic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank I mean, God. They're literally all manner of things. And I think there's as much as there are uh, commendable qualities to them, they are adults with deplorable qualities and prejudices. Mm. Prejudices, yep. I should say. So they keep secrets from one another. You have like the whole, like, your kid is a liar. She's uh, she, the first student we enrolled in this thing and she's literally... Thing, and you couldn't keep on. It's like, well, that's not my fault. And also, how dare you? That's my child. That yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I wanted this to be a natural progression of school. That when you leave school, you think everything is good now. I am an adult. I'll go work for the ministry or what <laughs> the fuck ever. But in truth, 
things are just as complicated as they always are, if not Better more Better get so. ready to pay taxes and bills, motherfucker, <laughs> for yeah. the rest of your life. And you have the same arguments you would when you're a child, but for some reason they're like proper like friendship-shattering arguments. Like, how did this fucking happen? I don't know, but I'm going to cave your head in. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, you know, we, I've had a cadaver, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, if, if two kids or cousins argue, some aunt or uncle step in and say, can you knock it the fuck off and make up your, your family? And yet, if two uncles or two aunts spar or do the same sort of aggression thing, they it's like never speak again. Yeah. And it fractures the whole yeah. fucking family. Yeah. And I wanted that, but with the family of these people who've nice. bonded together and become a family, basically, as a, as a general principle. Mm. But yeah, I think I think having it so that you end with basically the foundation of the school in the flashbacks as the school is essentially falling apart. Um, mm. Or, or at least the founders. Yeah, are you, you have it. Is, be, is, you literally watch it being built in her vision, and then it's flaming and broken, and then like two scenes later. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's very well done, um, and and kind of matching those up, um, and it and it makes sense to, you know, I think if I was doing this, I probably would have done it a, mo- a lot more basic and had, sure, you know, the the kind of the end of the first film is the school being finished building mm, and mm. you know you kind of that way i had considered um, that yeah uh and i but i really like what you've done with that um the timeline me there. too yeah it subverts cool. expectations in a not too like oh i'm surveying expectations just for the sake of it kind of way it actually uses mm. it to build like narrative dissonance on purpose between the two sides and the two timelines that happen. It's mm. like, everything's going to be fine and we'll be best friends forever. You're all dead. Everything's <laughs> going to be great and Hogwarts will be the best place. It's on fire. <laughs> it's like, it works well as kind of like a, yeah. yeah. The dreams of childhood and adolescence. We think yeah. this is going to be, the, we will mm-hmm. always be together. And exactly. Like, One day I'm going to literally come. And that's the key thing. I didn't when at the st- very start of the film, the first one, the whole like, a wizard that's killed his own kind, leave him the fuck alone. And you think, oh, who is Salazar killed? Because obviously he's the one that's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, technically he kills Rowena Ravenclaw because she killed Godric. Yeah. And we never know if they would have ever... And this thing, there's no closure. There's no point where Godric and Salazar actually meet again after they fracture in the first fight. They send loads of messages back and forth and they never actually have it out, mm-hmm. which I think is important because I think if they did, they would have probably fought to a standstill and said, you know what, this is stupid, now hold your hands kiss. up. Now kiss. <laughs> but because this isn't just about those two, this is about the, and the nature of your melodrama doesn't just affect you, motherfucker. Which, it's everyone around you. Which is exactly what we talked about after the first one. We're like, oh, it's kind of focusing on those two a bit, Matt. Oh, that's mm. a problem. And then you did a nice job of, here's a young Rowena. Here's a young Helga. Like we're building out the, 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 you know, the, the different sides and expanding it a bit more and giving them their not only their reactions to like you said to the melodrama of those two but giving them their own motivations and relationships with their husband and daughter and all that kind of stuff as well yeah that that worked really well in a way i wanted to do a little bit what was initially intended for the star wars sequels where the first film's about han the second film's about luke and the third film's about leia Mm. obviously i didn't work out because the death of carrie fisher unfortunately but obviously the fucking films all of those but there was always this weird sort of oh that seems to be a bit of a pattern and that became we'll just chuck billy d williams in problem solved um but i wanted it to be like the first film's about the two of them is about Godric and sorry, uh, Gryffindor and Slytherin. And the second one's more about Ravenclaw and the Ravenclaw family. And the third one is Helga being the last one standing and saying, I'm going to just 
have to clean this all up. Yeah. And the only way to clean this up and make it make sense is to lie. And I'm unfortunately seem to be quite good at lying mm. because I liked everybody about my husband, but I loved him and it was the right thing to do. And I, that kind of stuff, there'll be those be the huge developments and so on and so forth, and there'd lots of things that'll be in there, but yeah. just as a surface level for this immense, immense pitch. So the thing I've been saving right for the very end yes. is a change of title. Oh, interesting. I wonder if it would work. And I don't know if, I, if this is me being so used to the convention of titles in this franchise. or Is it gay wizards and the gay wizards? Yes, <laughs> yes. How many gay wizards, lots of gay wizards, even more gay wizards, everyone's sure. dead. Um, so you're following the, the, the structure of Harry Potter and the... Kind of not thing. quite, but but similar. So oh, okay. I'm not, I can totally see why you would go for Hogwarts, colon, blah, blah, blah. Totally makes sense. You, I, I'm going to still call it the Hogwarts trilogy, my version. But I wonder if you call it like a history of Hogwarts, the disunity of Hogwarts, a tragedy at Hogwarts, or the tragedy at Hogwarts, or the tragedy of. So you get blank of Hogwarts, blank at Hogwarts, blank the Hogwarts, whatever you want to call it. But like space it out in that way because you've got the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, Harry Potter and the blah, blah, blah. It's like something colon something else feels really out of place in that universe for me. I don't know if that's just me used to the naming convention or I'm thinking a bit like a marketing kind of wanky kind of way and that kind of no, thing. No, 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 it's fine. That's but fine. Yeah, that that makes more sense to me in this in this universe to have a, the hist- a history of Hogwarts or the history of Hogwarts, a disunity at Hogwarts, a tragedy out of Hogwarts, whatever you want to, however you want to word it, but that kind of twist in that way. I'll explain why I did it. Because um, fuck you, Jack, that's why. No, no. You English bastard. <laughs> I actually agree with your suggestion. But it's actually a reference. Ah. In the first film, Hermione comes into the hall and said, that ceiling is an enchantment. It's not actually weather. I learned about it in a book, Hogwarts, A History. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, the book she constantly references. Yeah, but till um, the bagshot. But doing a Lord of the Rings is like, oh, it's there and back again. Oh, I'm kind of, yeah. Well, do, do, doing a Fantastic Beasts and where to find them also. Yep. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the a, a, a disunity of tragedy is like, the history is what you think you know because it's the book. Mm. This is the whole, yeah. oh. And just to make it rhyme. I, 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 liked, yeah. I liked the the kind of uh, the formatting of the titles. Um my only temptation would be I, I'm not sure about disunity as a word. That was one I, I, I didn't agree. like. I, maybe I in a why. maybe go with something like word. Hogwarts are fracturing or something like that. Yeah, division on things like that. I was like, there are all kinds of things. I just wanted to end in a why to make it the same as the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, it's it's one of those things. Like I thought, I thought it's the it's the one I was like, that's the weakest one. Yeah. Tragedy's great. History's great because obviously it's the reference. Yeah. The disunity, I'm like, yeah, it's not right. A comedy, uh, Hogwarts. Hogwarts, <laughs> a, a fucking betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> Hogwarts, a Bane impression. Pornography. <laughs> Hello, Guardian Leviosa. <laughs> yes, so I think that's fine. We can, we can, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not like married to anything. Yeah, I'm, just, I, I, yeah I'm, not, I'm not married to my idea, but it just felt a bit weird because no, clearly, I, I don't know, Harry Potter law, so I didn't get the reference. <laughs> so, there you go. Again, I only know from what I remember in the films. and the I think we looked films, this shit up as well. I had to reference some stuff. Yeah, I, I, most importantly, I was, I, first thing I did was, because th- this is a key point here. There's something I should go throw out to you guys. I'm quite curious. We talked about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them as a spin-off. And we talked about how Crimes of Grindelwald is the first real sort of prequel. Mm, sure. In a Prometheus Ailing Covenant kind of way. Kind of, yeah. And for me, it was a case of like, well, okay, we're going to do this, this, this uh, you know, Matthew, do a prequel to the Harry Potter stuff. I'm like, oh shit, that's a lot of actual established lore. 
that I don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be- do a-, a gloss reading, as it were. Then it's a case of like, well, we already know about the Deathly Hallows because that's told us in the film. We already know about the young Voldemort because that's told us in the film. We know about Harry Potter's parents. That's told to us in the film. It's like, well, where do we go from there? The only thing that's mentioned in those films as any older than that, really, is, is the founders. The yeah. whole Gryffindor, Slytherin, the, the, the houses. Now, obviously, there's lots of other bits and pieces, but everything is kind of built enough in, 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 that, com, in that contained universe. Who's the half-blood prince? Snape. Oh, okay. Where do you go from there? I thought, well, I could do a thing about Durmstrang or the other, or, or the Bobatons or whatever it is, the other schools. I'm like, no, I don't know if I would. So it makes sense to me to just do the prequel is the building of the school. Although, as Tim's point out, I did have initially idea of like, we'll start with them, come up with them meeting for the first time. And then the final thing will be the last brick going down. And I thought, that's a little narratively clear. I want it to be back and forth, bounce yeah. all over the place and have people go, oh, I did not expect this. I wanted, I, basically, I, I'm going to do a Ryan Johnson. I'm going to find mm-hmm. out what the fans want. I'm going to upset them by not giving it to them. And then finally, after maybe several years ago, actually, I can see why you did that. But also, I'm hoping that there'd be enough distance between the Harry Potter films that the key audience and all that sort of stuff, there's no, you know, Fantastic Beasts were in a way. It's just still other stuff. No, you know, wizards shitting themselves and magicking <laughs> it away. And people would go, this is a much darker thing. It's like, yeah, because that was 10 years ago. Of course, it's going to be different. That's my plan, at least. Yeah, I think, like, I'm sure there's some people who would love to see a kind of first Voldemort War film where you've got Harry's parents and all that kind of stuff in the original Order of the Phoenix, but that's so well-trodden in the books. Like, I I don't think that a film would really add anything to that. Yeah. Um, And I think going with the founders is a really cool idea. It's, It's... something that I've seen people like cast in the past and kind of have ideas about and stuff, um, you know, in fan casting and stuff like that. Um, And I think it is a rich area to, to kind of work in. And it, and it does a thing that we've done several times uh, in this series and, and kind of, you know, in terms of like exploring what, what does a prequel mean is that sometimes the most interesting thing to go back in time with is the setting rather than the characters because ideally a story should probably be the most interesting time in your characters lives yes the story Mm. that you choose to tell should be the 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 time when they undergo the most change they go through the most you know turmoil and stuff like that so anything that's then set before that is less interesting is going to be less interesting it's going to fall flat and so taking the world and looking backwards in it because the the world will have other interesting times in it you know, and and by moving away from the characters, you free up narrative space because you know we know all all we really know about them is oh well we know that Salazar fell out with them and had some views about half blood you know um, you know non pure blood wizards and we know Ravenclaw had a daughter and we know Godric had a sword you know and and that's that's kind of the limits of the thing i i I do have a question about hogwarts itself actually Mm. which is do you picture being full-blown hogwarts that we see in the films is that what they build to start with or is it kind of piecemeal being put together slowly yeah 
So technically, you only see the main castle bit. Mm -hmm. All that extra grounds, all the stuff, mm -hmm. all the all the doors, things that wouldn't be there. I know I'm I, I'm not gonna be able to do I, I do an actual like blueprint style mm -hmm. thing, but it would be the base element. So you just do words, a, like a. 360 tour of the giant miniature <laughs> thing that they have in the studios, Matt. What kind of research is this? <laughs> but the point is that I, I, like any building in Britain, anyone will tell you. I mean, there's a bar in Norwich called Jonet's Bar. We filmed there for see if I've killed someone. Mm. It's an old crypt, very small, from like the, I want to say 14, 1500s. And then the next bit that's bolted on that is a very small addition. Like, again, like a, a cellar from the 17, 1800s. And the next bit bolted onto that is from the 1900s. And you can tell the architecture changes because all you would do is you wouldn't really mow it down and start a new building. That's too expensive. You just build another wall around the outside and make it bigger and bigger. Mm. You just bolt onto what's already there. Now, obviously, not always the case, but it would be more expensive and time consuming to do that. So that's why you see, like, for example, I don't know, Tower of London or something like that. And then outside, they get more and more. Like, mm. you got the Tower of London, which is very, very stone and almost like you know 14th century kind of thing and then you've got this sort of tudor look inside that and then this outside wall and it's like oh yeah because they keep building and building and building i mean american towns are built on grids english towns are built like um uh like a tree that's been cut in half mm. you know with <laughs> circles that keep expanding outwards as they keep yeah. expanding the city so cars the castle itself would be recognizable but not exactly the same mm. and in the young rowena when she sees the future and they go but you know the time machine yeah mm -hmm. um she was yeah yeah, yeah, the sort of the fast forwarding time, time lapse kind of everything. The the landscape changes at really fast pace, and then she sees the building basically just being there and standing there. Mm. There are two points I want to put in there, like mm. really fast that she wouldn't notice or care too much because she's too much mm. like divination style, mm. you know, spacing out and seeing the whole thing and getting a feeling for it. But there's one thing she does see, which is the whole thing of just covered in smoke for a couple of seconds and it's gone. And then later, she sees this big bubble around it, which is the Battle of Hogwarts at the end. Oh, of the interesting. Nice. Cool. So she sees all this so stuff. She go, I, I had assumed she like catches up to her present day, quote unquote, like no, it's, it's to, her, it's to, the, to the future timeline of this film, uh, but she actually goes uh, further in the future. She sees all the way through, but That's then she sees really the cool. flower literally, as I say, like uh, bloom and wilt. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. There's gonna be, And I'm going to be dead anyway, but the high point is the school's... Again, even after the Battle of Hogwarts, Hogwarts remains after us. Like yeah. it will still stand. That's cool. That's really people cool. will still come here as a student, mm. which is also the statement about again all countries and the nature of institutions and traditions. Some things are good and bad, but they will all stick around, yeah. whether it's positive or not. Um, like in, in very controversial in this country, statues. <laughs> um, and I say this as again a Catholic person living in England, where every November we burn a Catholic, and it's like. <laughs> I never feel welcome here, and I'm from here. Um, and it's the, but it's like, why do we do it? Well, we just always do. And I think, and I know it's a very, very big thing to put into a fucking what's arguably a children's film. But it's like, no, this, this is kids got to learn the, someday, man. The way I saw it, I didn't want to make a Harry Potter style film. I wanted to make a Lord of the Rings style film in a way, but something dark, a bit more adult, mm. but still quite. I compared uh, it to Lord of the Rings a couple of times for a reason. This definitely feels more along those sort nice. of lines. Yeah, a bit more actiony and things like that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, to 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 me, it's almost uh, it's a little bit game Game of Thronesy because it's yep. about these different the, houses, the, big battle the clash, with the armies and stuff. you know, yeah, between definitely. them, and and you know, period wise, it's kind of in that Game of Thrones kind of quasi medieval type setting, and that's um, entirely in intentional because at the end of the so you know, I said why I wanted the few facts because I wanted to make sure that the audience because releasing in twenty twenty one hopefully. 
the last big fantasy thing everyone's aware of is Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm. A, so- a song of swords and serpents. How about that for you? Hey, hey. There you go. So yes, that's my very, very lengthy and in-depth fix for a very brief overview of, of, of a Hogwarts trilogy prequel to Harry Potter. But at the same time, if I had just written that first one, say, and then there's like two more and a lot of stuff happens, it wouldn't <laughs> sure. have, it would yeah, have fallen. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a very impressive work you've, uh, you've carried it's out. Ambitious there. and impressive. Thank you. I'm, I'm genuinely convinced there'll be a lot of fans who go, that's actually quite cool. And a lot who will go, that's not Harry Potter. That's not what I know. That's not the law. I like the canon as I know it. Yeah. And that's fine. But uh, kill the past if you have to. I mean, to be, to be <laughs> yeah, honest, like, I don't think that they've really explored the founders that much. Probably because they're saving it to do another film with it. Yeah. Um, I found yeah, bits, but they were all a bit... Yeah. yeah. didn't go anywhere or do anything. The second I realised that they were all meant to be England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. I yeah, like, I had no oh, idea that was a thing. Yeah. That's why the personalities are the way are they are. And then it became like, like, oh, that's very reductive. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll do something with this. England will just assume Ireland is part of its thing. Or more accurately, Gryffindor just says, yeah, but you're mine, right? It's like, uh, no, we're all our own people. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. But it's my money. It's like, you dick. <laughs> yeah. I don't, again, I don't, think, I don't think any of them are redeemable. Mm. Um, so yeah, you're all happy with like, cast absolutely and, uh, yeah because oh, I, I was gonna say i went for unknown people i could cast like huge rare things but i wanted a scottish person and a welsh person and so on but love the cast i think it works really well yeah i i really like the cast and i can picture now uh the people like when it comes to the third film and people mm. being like mm, yeah we knew ruth jones was a great comedian but like oh she's really blown us away for this with this performance like she's really like acting now yeah, yeah. Is this Ruth Jones's Oscar nomination that we've yeah. all been waiting for? Where she's finally given more credit than fucking Corden. I do actually have one one other question, which I've just thought of. Yes. I can't remember. Duncan, Duncan uh, Ravenclaw? Duncan Ravenclaw. Ewan Gregor. Ewan McGregor, feels yeah. like big casting for what ends up being quite a small role. I agree. I have a very minor rebuttal, which is... So is every character in all the Harry Potter films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you're, right, you're totally right. It's like, that's, that's a big cast member. And my logic there was literally the idea of like, he, 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 his only purpose is to be, unfortunately, what would usually be the female role in these, in these films, which is like, oh, my <laughs> child. Oh, just falling into like a fucking sadness and then dying. Um, but I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll give it to him. Um, but also, I think there'll be a bit of a fucking rug pull for the audience. Like, oh shit, Obi Wan Kenobi's in here, and that'd be great. And, oh fuck! Mm. Oh god! But I mean, like when they said, um, and the reason I brought it up is like when they had, um, oh, I think it was like maybe Deathly Hallows one or some shit, and they announced bits of the cast. Say Bill Nye's in it, and they, oh brilliant, mm. cool. He has one scene, and he buggers off, and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, okay. I, I think it's just. I mean, the original Hel- Helena Ravenclaw, the ghost, the grey lady by Kelly MacDonald, mm. was initially, originally going to be Kate Winslet. Ah. And Kate Winslet's agent, I don't know if with her approval or not, said, um, uh, no, we're not going to involve ourselves in what appears to be a conveyor belt of every British actor ever. So we're not going to do that <laughs> shit. Um, and that is actually a bit of a tricky one for me because I was like, ah, Millie Bobby Brown is not Kelly MacDonald and Kelly MacDonald cannot play a teenager. Fuck, 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 fuck. And <laughs> I thought, it's fine. Ghosts age a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Also, because the, the bloody Baron, when you see him, he's dressed like a seventeenth century yeah, Baron. Yeah, he's he's uh, 
and he's like, ha 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 ha, look at me. And I was like, that's stupid. Yeah, that's but I also, mean, he, he, that's his like appearance it. in like the first film, which is very yes. different tonally wise to later yeah. films. But yeah, because it's like oh, who are the who are the ghosts? And it's like, oh, he's the bloody Baron. Why is he called the bloody Baron? It's like because he stabbed this woman and then killed himself. That's why he's covered in her blood. And it's like that's fucking horrible. Yeah. So. So is nearly headless Nick. That's absolutely terrifying and gruesome. And they're just like, nearly headless. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, and then a big fat monk, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, some fry attack motherfucker. Um, but no, I wanted Spider to be. A, but again, I'm trying to make a contemporary film with contemporary sentiments that are addressing problems in our times yep. with a Harry Potter fucking statement. And I think there's no way J.K. Rowling would write this. <laughs> Agreed. The fact that you've brought on a gay African-American woman to direct these films <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> I, I think it's something that would be treated well and handled well by somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing yeah. without being insensitive or, or whatever. The, the only thing I could think that would be a big backlash, which I try to sort of work against, is the lack of diversity mm. because it's set in the nine, what, 990 or something like that yeah. in, in England. It's like, well, there weren't a lot of people of color around not really but you go to the middle east and stuff like well that's what i say i want yeah, i want that to yeah. be there and i wanted it to be not just this who are these they're the foreign invaders it's like what have you dragged us into i thought we were going to get something out of this it's like yeah yeah yeah, you will but you've got to help me and it's like ah, because it's also at the time was one of the heights of islamic teaching and all that sort of stuff and mm. it's like well you guys are learning like maths and philosophy and all kinds of cool stuff and we're doing embarrassing things that's why he's like talking about um cordoba and uh, or and andalus mm. or whatever it's called because that's basically spain at that mm. time because spain wasn't a thing just the iberian peninsula um but yes lots of stuff going on lots mm. of ideas crazy stuff and an season e finale season finale yeah absolutely it's appropriately huge and over the top and epic yeah. Much as I'm like, fuck the fans, I don't give a shit. I am genuinely curious for the conversation. I do want to know what they're gonna think. So uh Jack's fiance, I, I have sort of told her about this. I said I said, Should oh I'd really be curious to read it. I said, You can, but not until Jack has. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, <laughs> pass, I will pass it over to Emma next and see what she thinks. So getting an official Harry Potter hardcore fan. Because like I said, my knowledge I've I've read every book and seen every film, but my knowledge is not like anything particularly mm -hmm. deep compared to the lore and the world building and all that kind of stuff which again is what i'd be going for because at the end of the day that's how the studio would operate as well so yeah who cares yeah sure the, the the audience is the audience um so yes that's my fix i hope you all enjoyed it um i know it's a very 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 lengthy episode but it's been i, th I think it, it, it warranted it. it wasn't just excess for the for, for the sake of it yeah it was it was unfortunately necessary um i had fun that's the end of the season, ladies and gentlemen. Right? Yeah. End of series six. We are prequelizers no more. We shall return back to sequelizing in the future. But don't worry, we've got into season stuff to keep us going until season seven. So as of next week, we will have some lovely interseason content for you guys. Don't you worry. Including <laughs> some picked by some patrons as well. So Oh yeah. Extra cool stuff coming up. But before all of that, if you want to get in touch with some feedback about the whole season, feedback about Matt's epic Hogwarts trilogy pitches. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the usual social medias. We're sequelizers on everything. It's nice and easy. It's spelt how it is on your podcast listing device right now. 
it, it's all it's all there for you. Nice and easy. All the E's, all the S's. Sequelize. Hit us up. Whether you're a diehard Harry Potter fan and very angry with Matt ruining the law and the world, or you're like, oh yeah, like me, like, oh yeah, that was cool. That's a really interesting way of building the, the law and the world. And yeah, cool. Okay. I'm I'm down. Or in between. Doesn't really matter. Let us know. If you want to hit up me directly, I am JLW Chambers on uh, the Twitter and the Instagrams and all that stuff. Matt, how can they discuss deep, important Harry Potter lore with you on the internet? Do you mean wizards shitting themselves and wizard magicking it away? I don't care for the lore. It's all bullshit. Cool wizard shit. Cool wizard shit. Yeah. Happens a lot. Um, yeah, you can uh, do the usual stuff. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, and all the social media things. Uh, the Red Right Hand at Code.uk for my reviews. Cheesebin.com for the films and series I make and all sorts of cool stuff. Tim, you wizarding bastard. Heck yeah. Yeah. Where can they find your magical ass? Uh, my magical ass is spread wide across... <laughs> oh dear. The, uh, ...the fountain of Twitter, um, which uh, where you can find me at trivia underscore lad on there, uh, expressing my opinions both magical and mundane. Tim shits into the pensieve and all his memories come out. Exactly, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, you can, that's that's the best place to find me. Um, but uh, a, another place you can find me, and all of us, in fact, is our wonderful Discord. Yeah. Uh, which has uh, a wonderful little community of Sequelizer fans who mm -hmm. discuss the show, films, TV, music, uh, all manner of, of, of things. Um, you can find that linked on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on our website, sequelizers.com. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a wonderful little friendly community uh, that everybody is welcome to join. As Jack mentioned, we have some Patreon picks for the end season and obviously for the for Series 6 and Series 7. If you want to get in on this sort of stuff, you can go to our Patreon, Patreon.com slash sequelizers, and you can support from as little as a dollar, getting little little treats. Uh, or a little more, getting more stuff. Um, we we have a a lot of bonus stuff for this episode, obviously, including classically, which Hogwarts house uh, we all fall into, and we have a long discussion about that. So that's extra bonus content for the certain tiers and things. Um, but yes, if you can support us, please do. If you can't, perfectly understandable. As always, like, um, subscribe, support, share. Do we do word of mouth? Tell people it genuinely really really helps us. So thank you so very much if you choose to do so. Last but not least, we'd like to thank the executive producers for this season who have picked some of the films, who have picked some interseason stuff, who may be returning in season seven. We'll find out, I suppose, mm. when we come back with sequelizers. We'd like to thank Mike Salvia, Jonathan Firth Clark, and of course, Stuart Main. Thank you, gentlemen, for your continued support. We really appreciate it. And thank you mm -hmm. to all of our patrons, all of our listeners. Thank you for listening to Prequelizers. It's been a cool little experiment. It's been mm. a fucking challenge. Yeah, fuck prequels. <laughs> Christ. If prequels we can go back to bullshit. sequels, that would be lovely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to sequelizers again because <laughs> prequels have been a fucking pain. And like two of the hardest pitches I've, I've written for this show by far have been prequels, and it's been a pain but yeah we'll be back to see closers we've got more interseason content and uh, we'll keep on trucking even though we're 
still separated. You know, we'll uh, keep on recording remotely, keep on doing our thing. There will be no stopping the weekly content. Don't you worry. Yep. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for support for the season. And we'll see you very soon with some interseason goodness. Bye. Accio interseason content. That's the one.